0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is a very special movie for us from some very special filmmakers, and if you saw the runtime of this episode, you know we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. From directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, it's Something in the Dirt, featuring a special interview with producer David Lawson Jr. on this episode of Scary Stuff. Hello, 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 and welcome to a very special episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey everybody, how you doing? And Jacob Jones Goldstein. Let's talk rose croutons. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it is gonna come as a complete surprise that we're doing a new movie by Rustic Films. I say as I'm wearing my Freighter Thompson t-shirt available at rustic.film slash shop. Drinking tea from my shitty Carl Mug, available at rustic.film slash shop. Oh, my back wall, I have my I Want to Ascend poster available at rustic.film.shop. How much do we like their stuff? Mentioned back in our Moon Knight episode that Justin, Benson, and Aaron Moore had worked on a comic. We got that shit bricked! this is a cgc oh, nice. is that a 9.8 this is a nine point skybound press who put out after school number one the comic that justin and aaron wrote oh, is that the alternate cover i couldn't find that this is the jason sean alexander cover yep so it was i only saw it on their site so yeah we we, we shout out for that shit nice yeah i
1: was poking around for alternates of that and i have i have two copies of it i made my brother get it because fuck it just buy it don't argue buy it and I ended up, I was looking for it because I was on a, when it came out, I was on a trip up to visit my brother and we went to a couple different comic shops so I could find it. Oh, and sweet. I got like three copies. And maybe we got one. Hey, we can do a giveaway if you want. If uh, you're listening to this and you want a copy, fucking write in or DM us or something and we'll we'll send you a copy of the comic. We'll sign it. <laughs> yeah, we'll that makes sign. sense, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do a giveaway because yeah, you can't get the comic on shop, but everything else I mentioned, you can. And yeah, look, I'm just going to mention at the top we have retweeted this movie constantly. So I give a big sorry, not sorry, because as we said before, we're basically the Rustic Films Propaganda Podcast. It's not a secret. (laughs) (laughs) We have covered. If if for some reason this is your first episode of ours that you're listening to, where we've done a Rustic Films property or something that Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead have worked on, it's back in. The episode called The Shitty Carl Cinematic Universe, we covered everything that was out at the time, from Resolution in uh, Bonestorm, they're short on VHS Viral, all the way up to their Twilight Zone episode. After that, we did She Dies Tomorrow, which was a rustic production, and that was our first interview with Dave, which was just absolutely wonderful. Then Synchronic, which was our second Dave interview. Then, close enough, we had Lake Mungo which we reviewed with Dave, and also was a movie that influenced this one. We had our After Midnight review, which uh, we had Michelle Swope on as our guest for that, which was a fabulous conversation I've mentioned before. But for Michelle, absolutely go check out Scream Magazine number 73 for her Wes Craven tribute. It's a really terrific article.
1: Now I want hamsteak again.
0: Oh, yeah. Go to Wolfie's. Get some hamsteak. I have the Wolfie's (laughs) PDF menu, so... It's like our well like our two big dream like trip locations as a podcasters. You rustic in <laughs> and wolfies. So we've got one on each coast, basically.
1: <laughs> and well, there's a third which has nothing to do with this, but it's the tunnel from
0: um... The tunnel from butterfly kisses. Right? I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's like forty minutes away and we haven't done it, so clearly we're not good at this shit. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> we don't plan well. <laughs> I'm just afraid of tunnels. I record these down in essentially my the lower level of my house. It's not quite the basement, but it's cold down here. Otherwise, I would be wearing my Arcadia Brewing t-shirt, which you can buy where, Eric? Rustic.film slash shop. Rustic.film slash shop.
0: Okay, moving on. Back to Michelle real quick. I do want to mention, so we talked after Midnight with Michelle, which was the uh, it was a Rustic Film production that Dave worked on very closely, but it was directed by Christian Stell and Jeremy Gardner. But if you want to hear Michelle talk about Other rustic film properties, specifically the works of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Episode 246 of Corpse Club, the podcast from Daily Dead. So terrific episode. Go listen to that. Michelle's awesome. And lastly, Justin and Aaron also worked on Moon Knight. We did an episode on that with special guest Alex Segura. Go buy his book, Secret Identity, because it rules. True statement. That's pretty much, I think, everything adjacent that we've covered. So yeah, our fondness for rustic films is not exactly a secret. I cannot say with a hundred percent certainty, because Lord knows I'm I try and be even handed well, about everything. I cannot say with absolute certainty we are the biggest rustic film fans on the planet, but I can pretty damn well guarantee we are the biggest bone storm fans on the planet.
1: <laughs> I I would hope so. And if there's a bigger bone storm fan out there, I would like to meet him. Well, actually, you know what? No, I probably wouldn't.
0: If it's not us, <sighs> it's Matt Donato. That's the, that's it. It's it's if it's not us, it's Matt Donato.
1: So speaking of Bone Storm, friend of the pod, Fred, who who came on for our Purge episode, uh, hadn't seen it before. I couldn't believe this because, I mean, you know, he's been in rooms with us. Right. And we usually evangelize that shit. But he I didn't have
0: to have heard it by proxy. At least. I mean, you know, well. <laughs> the I mean,
1: entire thing, word for word. He's like, I'm watching this and this is very familiar, these lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he just watched it and really enjoyed it. He would just watch the entire VHS series. It's a fun series. He, he actually asked in one of our chat groups, is it worth watching the VHS series? And it's like, yeah, yes. but you
0: got to get to at least three. You've got to watch Viral. I'm going to mention something real quick. It, it, we're not going to get into the movie itself quite yet. We've got some other stuff to cover. But because it pertains to VHS viral, I don't always look at the IMDb trivia for movies. Because you guys usually have that covered. So I used to. I kind of stopped doing that. Oh, shit. Well, now I'll have to do it. Then. I still do it. Okay, cool. Okay, we're, we're covered. covered. But I, I was like, all right, well, let me see for something in the dirt. Whether or not they have any trivia that's actually up. Let me see if there actually is anything. And I had at the end of this episode, we're gonna reveal how many pages of notes I have on this episode. I'm not gonna say it at the top, but
1: to be fair, Eric, they can see how long the episode is when they when they click. Yeah, they on haven't it. So turned it going, off. They're yeah. gonna if have said, an idea how <laughs> many pages of <and> notes. <laughs> they, would they wouldn't have clicked play.
0: They <laughs> said, I'm anticipating this is going to be hefty.
1: It's going to be our first time doubling up the runtime of a film.
0: Uh, I'm not even sure that's true. It's not necessarily that's not far true. Off. <laughs> so I had pretty much all of their movies up in, in different tabs, along with a bunch of other shit, including VHS Viral. So I clicked on what I thought was the something in the dirt tab and scrolled down to trivia, and the first thing I see is... Rob Zombie was set to direct, but couldn't agree with the studio on how the story should proceed. So he stepped down. <laughs> was, which is the closest I've had to a spit take, probably. <laughs> now I realized very quickly that I was like, oh shit, this is, I'm on the VHS viral tab. But I was intensely amused by the notion of Dave, Justin, and Aaron, like working, putting the film together, working on the script, <laughs> looking Zombie at it and be like. They could have called in Evil Ted. Yeah, he could yeah. Is not a dig of Rob Zombie or anything regarding his quality. I'm just very amused at the notion of, of Dave, Justin, and Aaron sitting around looking at the script going, man, this starring in it, directed, but this, this, this might be a little too... You know who we need to get for this one? Rob Zombie. <laughs> get fucking Richard Brake to play Levi, Bill Mosley as John.
2: <laughs> you know, Rob Zombie is an incredibly tactile director. Like, while I have many issues with his films if you were to like put the mute button on and just have them as a visual background, they're actually fantastic and, and well oh, done. Yeah. They're gorgeous. His use of color is It's like such the polar opposite of these guys. It's just like, they're so like cerebral and like yeah. in your head, it's, it's like, a zoom. a <laughs> I don't
1: even know what would happen if you tried to mix those two together. Now all I can see, you know, that the scene we'll, we'll get into it later where Dave walks by and you know, the synchronicity scene in this. Now, all I can think is it was he walks by in that version. He's instead of saying what he's saying, he's saying, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches as he walks
0: past. <laughs> so, I won't give away what the final shot of Brad, this movie is. We'll, we'll give a spoiler warning here in just a second. But that was my first thought, too. Was, can you imagine this movie of currently when it smash cuts to black, it goes into fucking dragon? Tom Loops never ran. Make movies <laughs> with friends. More <laughs> human than human. Oh, that would have been great. So, that was the closest I've had to spit take researching an episode yet. What the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, we love the shit out of VHS Viral We love the shit out of pretty much all their When well, I say pretty much
1: We love the shit out of all their stuff Well, I, I can say my dad did a spit take When I called him to ask him a question for researching for some stuff in this A, because I called him to, to research about it And B, because of what I asked But we'll get into that too
0: That's the sort of tantalizing nugget we needed After my daunting mention of how many pages of notes I have on this movie Potentially drove <laughs> people away So, well-timed that's me, tantalizing nuggets. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's our new shirt for our T public shop. Tpublic.com says no. no, instead of going to us, go to rustic.film/shop. What was the thing from last
1: episode that we we I was essentially trying to make a catchphrase and then immediately forgot when we stopped recording?
0: Uh, I haven't finished the editing on it yet, but there's certainly the bit about you eating quarters, which is a big thing. Eating quarters—that's it. Eating quarters, which is why we're calling that episode the "Disappearing Quarter Trick." Eating quarter—I'm not eating any quarters on this film. On that note, a couple things I wanted to mention before we get into the movie. This this won't take long, but the episode before this we did was "Lord of Illusions." Like Jake just mentioned, we had. Dwayne Swierzynski on as our guest and was an absolutely wonderful recording like I said I'm still as of this recording I'm still editing it but it's been so much fun to listen back to it ended up being really appropriate because both that movie and this movie are weird love letters to Los Angeles yep and it was, which I didn't realize until I was going back in I was like oh this is oddly serendipitous which you can probably say about a lot of things that we're going to go through about you know odd serendipity but But Dwayne talks about it there because Dwayne is on the West Coast and he talks about he had a quote during the review. He says, you know, everywhere you turn, it's like weirdos and rock and rollers and freaks and magicians. It's kind of neat. You know, he compared Butterfield and Miller in that movie to the Nihilist from Big Lebowski, who are Big Lebowski comes up a lot in relation to something in the dirt. So anyway, a fun pairing of movies inadvertently on our schedule. But I did want to mention at the top, Dwayne plugged in that episode, Evie's Holiday Book Drive. The goal is to provide books to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles with a goal for all the patients to get a new book of their own every day. And it is currently ongoing as of this release, and it will be going until December 5th. The site is TeamEvyFoundation.com. So that's T-E-A-M-E-V-I-E-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N dot com. So head over, check that out. It ends December 5th. So if you can go there and donate, that'd be awesome. Please
1: do. Donate good books. This isn't like, you know, getting rid of the old can of pumpkin spice in your, your cabinet. Give them good stuff. Yeah, go buy a good book for these people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants your old Louis Lamore bullshit.
0: Well, speaking of good books, actually, that's the other thing I want to plug, which isn't related to Something in the Dirt, but is somewhat related to Rustic Films. For anyone who's a fan of the other Rustic Films prior to Something in the Dirt, well, specifically Resolution and The Endless, Sophia Ashram, who is a fantastic author and also does metalworking and amazing jewelry i saw recently on sophia's site so at one point as part of a lecture series called monster montreal sophia did a lecture series on time loops and time loop horror and a big crux of it and several slides of it were based on resolution and endless oh wow so unfortunately there's you know Obviously, the class is long gone. This was back in 2019. But if you go to Sophia's website, you can see the slides. So it's Sophia Azram, so S-O-F-I-A-A-J-R-A-M.com. You'll see when you go there, the top center image currently is Byron in resolution, holding up the mirror, or just under the sidebar under projects. You'll see it there. It's I think it's just called Time Loop Lecture or Monstrum Montreal. And then you can also head to Sophia. Like I mentioned, Sophia also does jewelry and metalworking. That site is SOFIAZAKIA.com. If you go there, Sophia's got a fabulous novella, which I'm holding up called The Arboglyph. This is a really terrific zine that was put together of a body horror romance story. It legitimately made me shift in my seat reading it at some of the squiggly body stuff early on which is problematic because I hurt my back at work. <laughs> and oh. so, so I'm wriggling at gross out body horror stuff and going, ow, at the same time.
3: <laughs> so
0: that's legitimate. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really terrific story. But also, so Sophia has jewelry and metalworking and has a piece on the endless. Uh, Sophia has a series of 14 karat tarot card necklaces and one of them is based on the endless. And this is the description of it. Likened to a tiny video cassette and designed after Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's film The Endless, this card pictures a murmur of eternal eyes obsessively searching. Below, a rope-bound, tight, reaches up into the ominous presence from a forsaken campfire. Into the night sky, two moons bring a truth, three signifies the ascension. The Endless encourages emotional honesty and aids in the ability to break destructive patterns. So I thought that was really nifty. There's Sophia has a bunch of other ones. too. There's a dark song one. And Lord knows we love the shit out of that movie. We're going to have
1: to do that eventually.
0: Sophia also did a necklace to tie in with the Cassandra Kahn novella. Nothing but blackened teeth. It looks awesome. So anyway, Sophia is awesome. But I wanted to mention that because I know Sophia is a big fan of Resolution and the Endless. So those are some items of interest for anyone else who digs those movies as much as we do.
1: Speaking of those two movies, I, I have to say this Halloween season, my kill count with Resolution and Endless got to three. So because I run a horror podcast, I run <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because I work for Eric on a horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so true. People will often ask me for horror movie recommendations. And, I, you know, almost no matter who they are, I almost always start with resolution in the endless. Because A lot of people don't really like horror. You know, they say, oh, horror movie. I don't... Stab, stab, stab. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how we roll here. Well, it's how Nick rolls. But <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. But yeah, three people across two basketball chats. I badgered into watching those two movies. All three liked them, so. Awesome! You know, we we run this Facebook group, which is, you know, fans of Rustic Films, which we don't do anything with. I just thought it should exist, so I made it. And we get a lot of bots who are very interested in it. And uh, (laughs) I should start keeping a a kill count tally on that. How many people I badger into watching this. And then eventually when my brother finally watches them, I'm just going to shut it down because where do you go from there? Well, that's going to be when the loop (laughs)
3: resets
2: and the clock
1: sets
3: back (laughs) to zero.
2: (laughs) The story has reached its natural conclusion. (laughs) Can we do it
1: another way? (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the first time we do two movies again on the podcast (laughs) and maybe get my brother to speak eight to ten sentences. He started listening to the podcast now, so I can really insult him and know he's going to hear it. Oh, wow. <laughs> on episodes he's
0: not on? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Jer.
1: Yeah, he told me to listen to the Boggy Creek episode. And I didn't even know what he said, but he was mad
0: about it. Or what I said. <laughs> no, well, good job spreading the gospel, Jake. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Probably not the last time the, con- <laughs> the spreading the gospel comes up in the course of this conversation either. It
1: will not be the last time that comes up. Ding, ding. I can promise you that.
0: So, yeah, let's get this out early. Just the obligatory. All this stuff probably goes without saying, but just to be safe the movie is out now as of us recording it it's out in theaters yeah this is me holding up my paper ticket doing my starship troopers i'm doing my part so (laughs) hey today is the 25th anniversary of starship troopers is it yeah today oh shit i was reading about that i was unaware
1: yeah i saw some tweets about it this
0: morning i was thinking about michael ironside the other day i can't remember why and i was thinking funniest thing i've ever said Truth. Michael Ironside is Michael Ironside in. Michael Ironside versus Space. It's been downhill since then. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I was I was thinking I forget why I was thinking about Michael Ironside and I was thinking, you know, if they ever do the shitty Carl Origin film, they should get Michael Ironside as shittiest Carl, like his dad. <laughs> 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 I was like, that, that'd probably be a good way to get Michael Ironside. I I oh god, I wish I could remember why I was fantasy casting Michael Ironside in rustic films. But that's that's what I arrived at.
1: Yeah, Michael Ironside's the German Immigrants who is, you know, shystiest Carl when he came over, but it got
0: changed at Ellis Island. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as of us recording this, it's in theaters. When this comes out, it's going to be out when the movie is available digitally. So that's why we're timing it this way, is when we do our episodes, we want to make sure that folks can go watch the movies and then come back and listen to this recording.
1: Because we are spoilerific. Oh yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of this film.
0: Yes, for you. absolutely.
4: <laughs>
1: in very short order. The living shit out of it. Which is not as easy as you might think. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> the downside in this case is unfortunately the physical release isn't out yet so we don't have any deleted scenes which it sounds like there's going to be a lot of potentially. Well, I hope so. And commentaries or whatever is going to be on that. So we're not coming in with any of that. But the movie's out there. Go see it. We're about to spoil it. We're going to tell you to go see it. So please 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 check it out check out the rest of their movies as of this recording resolution spring and endless for certain are on shutter endless is also they do, they put it up on youtube for free so it's just endless is on
1: everything nice yeah, endless is everywhere like, one of the dudes asked me well what is what streaming services on and i was like bitch throw a dart all of them
0: <laughs> yeah i didn't all of them i didn't check synchronic because i've got the Well, oh, i've got them all on blu-ray in fact we'll talk about the endless blu-ray in a bit probably but That's it. Go see it. Come back. Listen to this because we are going to spoil it.
1: Spoilers. What was in the dirt was the friends you made along the way. (laughs)
0: Aww. (laughs) Related, though, in in terms of seeing the movie, so we did catch it, I think we mentioned this back in the After Midnight review with Michelle Swope, that we caught this back at Sundance. Yeah. Which was an amazing experience. We'll talk more about that. After we saw it at Sundance and we tweeted about this, I had a couple thoughts and... The first of those was, this is going to be such a motherfucker to talk about. <laughs> yes. In a good way, but it's going to be such a motherfucker to talk about. And I'll actually, I'll save my second thought for after we get through some crew stuff. Probably a good idea to go ahead and, and go through the, the crew list a bit before we get into any of the movie stuff proper. Because then we're going to really be all over the place, probably. All right, I guess I so should get started then. Lead on. Earn your keep, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair warning, I'm going to probably pause you a lot. I have a lot of a lot of notes on stuff adjacent to these folks. Again, because we love these folks so much. So
2: I'm ready. This is something in the dirt from twenty twenty two. Hey, that's now. It was directed and edited by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who you might have seen in other wonders such as Synchronic, Endless, Spring, VHS, Rect, and Resolution.
0: I will also mention that they are both going to be in an upcoming documentary called Lynch Oz on, I believe it's on Wizard of Oz's influence on David Lynch. We both know they're big fans of David Lynch. They fucking mentioned dream logic in this movie. But in addition to that, um, I'll mention real quick in terms of acting stuff they've done. Justin was the soothing yoga voice and Aaron Moorhead was the voice of the Golden Door in Breathing Happy. That one I caught at the Chattanooga Film Festival. It is the writing and directorial feature debut of, I believe, I'm going off the top of my head, Shane Brady. Now, Shane Brady also did, we talked about Apocifish before, stuff like that. But this is a feature film that Shane did. And Justin and Aaron are both voices in it. I loved it. I really, really loved that movie. And I'm hoping I get the chance to talk about it with Dave a bit. So I don't know when the release date for that is, but yeah. Shane Brady is awesome, so you can count on that being awesome. Yeah, absolutely keep that movie on your radar for whenever it does come out. One other thing I watched in preparation for this, and I I think it came out last year, but Justin and Aaron both appear briefly in a documentary called The Clapboard Jungle, which is by Justin McConnell. Justin was basically doing a film diary of his work trying to get an independent film off the ground, which obviously something very near and dear to the folks at Rustic Film, and he basically documented the process of scripting a movie, trying to sell it, and like all the trial and error getting into it but justin and aaron are interviewed in it briefly it's a really interesting documentary i think it's a really nice behind it. it's all these folks who've been in the industry for a while like there's newer directors like justin and aaron uh, izzy lee is in it el gustavo cooper who we've talked about on the pod before there's directors who've been in the business longer like Guillermo del toro our resident kool-aid man mcgarris <laughs> and frank fucking Henenlotter is in it <laughs> whoo so, yeah, so nice. I had to I had to mention that one. So if you're interested in the behind the scenes indie film stuff, clapboard jungle, uh, I think Justin and Aaron are only in one scene, but it's it's a fun documentary overall.
1: Now you got to do the next five minutes of the podcast. That's Frank Hennenlotter. Hennenlotter
0: right. voice. <laughs> oh, God. Love this fucking movie. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so,
2: yeah, Justin Benson did the writing for this film, and this film was also edited by and starring Michael Felker. Yay! Previously edited Synchronic, Endless Spring, and VHS.
0: I'll mention Felker also has a Twitch channel that I'll throw out, which is Last Life Films, which I believe is also his website. So yeah, if you want to go check out Michael Felker's Twitch, Twitch.tv/lastlifefilms. Sorry for spelling everything all the time. I've done customer service for way too long at this point, and also some training part and parcel with it. So
1: with all the all the, all the hospital <laughs> shit this week, you know, I've had to spell out my email address a bunch. And it's just, it's like a rhythm now. It's isn't Tom, R is and Roger, you know, right through. So I, I'm with you. Music by Jimmy LaVale.
2: i uh, also worked on Synchronic, Endless in Spring. Excellent work. Oh my
0: God. I, oh, I, the music in this is fabulous. Uh, we tweeted this when we saw it at Sundance. There's, I've legitimately loved all of Jimmy's scores for the other movies, but I think this one is really something special. I love the hell out of the score for this film. Also, he has a new single out called Future Falling, as of this recording. So check that out where you get your digital music. And before
2: I get to the final bits, I will just quickly throw in some actor bits. So Obviously, you get a lot of Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson in this. And Aaron did also act in Contracted, Phase 2, Eels, Rusty Pipes, the music video, and I Blame Society. Whereas Justin Benson was in Breathing Happy, like you mentioned, Dementia, and After Midnight.
0: How we doing, Hank?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I was waiting for it. <laughs> He's a chogger in rusty pipes. It took me two tries to to realize who he was. Anyway, good, good song. I like it now because I watched it so
2: much for that episode. I just always remember them as the uh, the Marines in uh, Bone Storm. Semper Fi, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> they will
0: probably come up again before we're done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's produced by Rustic Films.
1: Yay.
2: Of course, also worked on The Endless Resolution, Synchronic, After Midnight and
1: Spring, and She Dies Tomorrow. While you're kind of running through the actors a little bit, I do want to, to mention, well, we'll do two. First one is C. Robert Cargill is in this. He mm-hmm. is the, the radio host. Now, I mentioned him because, predictably, I have a community connection, uh, first of two. Is it Cargill? That's one of them. Oh, okay. So, Cargill, so all right, the very first community connection was in that The original Benson and Moorhead episode, where I went through Lord Huron to get to Community. Also about to come up. So I wanted to do something obscure to really piss Nick off to start this one. (laughs) Like, really tangential. So C. Robert Cargill, of course, has done a lot of work. But one of the things he did is he was one of the co-writers on Doctor Strange, the first one. Mm -hmm. The title design for Doctor Strange was done by Aaron Sarofsky did a lot of the title sequences for Marvel movies. And, you know, and the, the Doctor Strange one was funny because I got confused because I, I wanted to watch it. And it's at the back. There's no title sequence up front in <laughs> Doctor Strange. I'm like, how do I keep missing this? Where the fuck is it? Is it two seconds? And then I realized, no, I'm just stupid. Anyway, so I went into the back and watched it. <laughs> and it's really cool. But Aaron Sarovsky, who's done it, also did the title sequence for Community, the Cootie Catcher. So two things here. One, I have a quote from the website about it and again this is directly for aaron Sarovsky, and i hope i'm pronouncing that right who'd have thought it would be a cootie catcher and like i laughed out loud at that first sentence because first of all i didn't know it was called a cootie catcher i don't know wh- where that's from it was something different when i grew up but like i laughed a lot like i laughed like a junior high school at a fart on that one but anyway uh so who'd have thought it would be a cootie catcher but prepping the title sequence pitch for dan Harmon's tv comedy series community This was the zany idea that won out over the rest. Because the show was set in a sleepy community college, we first imagined the hallways of beat-up lockers, linoleum-tiled floors, and cafeteria food. We saw the piles of college rejection letters on teens' bedroom desks, the slowly oscillating school office fan. And on top of all of that, we saw all the silly games teen plays out of sheer boredom, like a cootie catcher. So anyway... That's community connection number one. Do the title sequence. All right, hey. and I found out a whole bunch of stuff about the title sequence for community. So you know, the more you know. Well, while we're on the subject of Cargill, also the black phone was pretty good. We'll talk about that in later. Cargill's
0: written, but yeah, Cargill's written novels. I mean, Car- folks would know Cargill is a critic for Anical News. He's Massaworm. I-, I used to listen to him. I used to go when I would work on weekends and and have headphones on while I was, when we had to work weekends, I would listen to reviews of Spill.com and he was Carlisle on there. So yeah, Cargill is awesome. But speaking of Cargill, and I was going to bring this up when we got to Dave in the credits, but I'll bring it up now. If you like Rustic Films' particular affinity of uh, time loop slash time fuckery, which I have in my notes is Tempest fuck it for whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because a lot of the rustic stuff does incorporate time shenanigans, time loop stuff. This is a movie called The Long Walk, and it is by director Maddie Doe. It's currently streaming on Shutter, but Nick and Jake can attest I'm holding up the Blu-ray. Can confirm. I bought this Blu-ray, sight unseen, no trailer, nothing, because it has a commentary by C. Robert Cargill and Dave Lawson Jr. Oh, shit. They do a commentary on this. And I said if they're doing the commentary on buying the movie. And this movie rules. This movie is terrific. Nick, in particular, you would love the shit out of this. Cool. At least I think so. But I highly recommend you go buy the Blu-ray. But if just go to Shudder, give it a watch. You like it? Go get the Blu-ray. Because Dave and Cargo have a great commentary on it. There's other features on here I haven't had a chance to check out yet, but I wanted to plug that movie real quick while we're talking about Cargill. Also. Speaking of cast stuff, since we talked about A Dark Song earlier, if we're talking about folks who were in the movie, the voice of Frader Pederabo on <laughs> the recording is Liam Gavin, director of A Dark Song, <laughs> the movie we talked about earlier, talking about Sophia's uh, jewelry and metalworking site. So, yeah, I didn't realize I, most of the folks who were in this I recognized or read up on at Sundance. So I don't know if I just missed Liam or what. Because seeing Liam Gavin's name would have stuck out to me, so I don't know how I missed it previously. Was, oh, shit! If you haven't seen A Dark Song, check it out. That movie. It's is so good. Phenomenal.
2: Very good movie. Speaking of actors in this film, there are two that more that uh, deserve mention. For a very quick, maybe like half a second, you can see um, a Dr. Vincent Daniels on a monitor, played by Vinnie, yep. <laughs> Vinnie! <laughs> who We've Vinnie. also seen... And everyone dies in the end. Resolution, spring, and endless. And he's got a movie coming out soon too. Yeah, I think. doesn't have a single line in this film, but he had to. I saw him, so he's getting mentioned.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I got my, my all caps in my notes, Vinny! <laughs>
2: <laughs> and of course, the attractive man on a cell phone is played by our own David Lawson Jr.,
3: Yay! who's also going to be
2: seen in *Apocalypse*, *The Endless*, *Resolution*, 401 One Liberation Front*. Sherman's way and the scary stuff podcast. <laughs>
0: hey. One of those is inaccurate. Correct. But I will always claim he's in Sherman's way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We, that, Dave Lawson Jr. Being a streaker in Sherman's way is, is our, you know, that scene line from season was a four of the wire. If it's a lie, then we die on that lie. Oh. <laughs>
2: and finally, it's worth noting that this was distributed by XYZ Films,
1: who mm-hmm. also distributed Tusk, Mandy, Life After Beth, and The Invitation. So while we're still doing the crew, I want to bring up one other person, uh, and then we'll let Eric roll with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so Ariel Vita. Yes, that was who I was bringing up next. She plays a teacher in this, second unit director, of production design. She did a lot on this film. She also did production design on a Ryan Spindell short called The Babysitter Murders, which we talked about in our Mortuary Collection episode. Yep. The Babysitter Murders also feature uh, actor Barrick Hardley as Deputy Barnes. And Barrick Hardley, of course, played Michael in Bondage and Beta Male Sexuality episode of Community. So that's our second Community Connection through Ariel Vita and Ryan Spindell. And really, I just wanted to, to briefly mention Mortuary Collection again because, like, we're close Mortuary to Halloween, rocks. and I just feel like I should—that's the other one I beat people around the neck and head with. I got my brother to watch that one. Was
0: that the exact same connection from Mortuary Connection? So it's a twofer on Needle and Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
1: twofer, yeah. But I didn't go through Ariel Vita on that one. That was, was just that's directly true, but Barack, it was because he's—he's so, yeah. he's also in, you know, he, he's also in the movie Prime. That's why I specifically went through the Babysitter Murders this time, the short. Anyway, there you go. Two community connections on a movie
0: with six people in it. I feel like that's pretty good.
3: <laughs>
1: no,
0: that's awesome. No, I, Ariel was the next person I was bringing up. Actually, I'll mention the whole unit uh, just kind of together. So there is kind of a three-person unit who looks like they all kind of work together pretty frequently. Ariel Vita is the production designer. Katie Simon is the art director. Katie Simon also worked on that mortuary collection segment. Uh, and Kim Barron's is the graphic designer. And they all three worked in those roles on this movie as well as The Endless. If you have the Blu-ray for The Endless, go check out the making of documentary there, because there's a segment where they talk to Ariel, Katie, and Kim, and you get to see them at work, and it's fabulous. The, the amount of detail they put in and the amount of work they put into these films is amazing. It's going to come up in this movie, too, the amount of stuff they put together. That's why
1: they pay them the
0: big nickel. <laughs> you get the big nickel. It's a boring <laughs> callback. <laughs> 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 wow, that's a reference. I went a oh, call back to our born episode. <laughs> I feel dirty.
1: <laughs> well, this is something in the dirt, so you should feel dirty. Like nine inch nails said, man, we're down in it.
0: Ariel has worked on a lot of stuff. Ariel worked on Bob Dylan's Shadow Kingdom. We mentioned that before. We talked about Cargill. Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill have a segment coming up in the next VHS documentary, which is documentary in the next uh, i'll leave <laughs> VHS <laughs> Fuck mockumentary whatever found footage thing yeah anthology it which is vhs 85 which is coming out next year and I, I believe ariel is the production designer on that i still gotta watch the new one this year's same here yeah i haven't watched the newest one but as of today as of the day we are recording this ariel's feature film Vide noir at least i'm assuming it's veed i haven't heard it pronounced because i haven't listened to the album but It is inspired by the Lord Huron album of the same name. As we mentioned at the top, Ariel worked with Lord Huron previously, did their music video for The World Ender, and it was awesome. So now there is a feature film inspired by the works of Lord Huron, and it's out today on digital. So I'm going to be checking that out as soon as we wrap up this episode. I can't wait to see it. They said, Ariel seems fabulous. I'm really excited to check that movie out. And apparently Ariel has another movie that is either wrapping up or in the can, called Trim Season, according to IMDb. So, might be more coming. If you check out Ariel on social media, you'll probably quickly recognize her as, I think she's officially the number one fan of Rise, Roar, Revolt at this point. And you've probably seen the Halloween meme of her running with two torches while plush tigers are thrown behind her. If you just look it up, you'll you'll understand when you see the, the film and see the video. But yeah, Ariel, Katie, and Kim all did the various visual elements of it not the special effects but like the, the props and whatnot for this they did amazing work as far as the actual visual effects the visual effects supervisor on this was um alban Kazixi again apologies for pronunciation but works as a digital compositor primarily worked on arrival godzilla king of the monsters uh rise of skywalker the watchman tv show mandalorian he's doing the willow show for disney plus but again amazing work in this movie i know it's Get used to he used to a lot of repetition on the gushing on this one. We warned you up front. And lastly, I do want to call out the sound designer Yahel Dooley, who's worked on sound for, I believe, all the other films under Rustic or, or the ones Justin Aaron worked on. I believe they do such cool shit with sound in these movies, man. Yeah. Oh you yeah, know, the sound is so. And and again, this one in particular. Yeah, Yahel, I I would really really like to to see more on on how a lot of the sound stuff on this is put together. It's so good. I mean, it's important in all the films, but I would
1: argue it's the most important in this one.
0: Also, he's the guy on the roof in Bone Storm, apparently, which I didn't realize still checking his IMDb. <laughs> and the only other one I had, I think that really covers everyone, but I had an entry for myself of just Couch Wrangler David Lawson Jr. Because as we mentioned in our <laughs> After Midnight review, which I just said, if there's a couch involved, Dave wrangles it. You know, That was <laughs> one of his big <laughs> crew functions on After Midnight. I assume for the floating couch scene, he was one half of the floating on it. Might've been both. He's a pretty big guy. (laughs) Yeah. Could have just, just right underneath.
1: Benching couches, man.
0: Just press it. Yeah. Straight up. Throwing them (laughs) axes
1: and built up the arm strength, the bench couches. Just iron man it. (laughs) (laughs) When he was done, he ripped it in half. (laughs) So
0: yeah. Thank you for bearing with us on the length of your crew rundown than usual. But again, we love these folks, but also they do amazing work. So we really just wanted to shout them out. So
1: Look, their new movies each year are our Christmas, so, you know, this is us opening presents.
0: It was, one of my earlier notes, at, at the top of my notes, was like, oh, you gotta understand, a new Rustic film is basically the cinematic equivalent of the Somebody's Getting Married song from the Muppets Take Manhattan. So, nice. <laughs> just, rustic, rustic, man. rustic, new movie by
1: Rustic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, alright, so, covers cast and crew. So now we get into the movie itself.
1: I, I have a discussion question right up front. And this pertains just to, like really to the very beginning of the film. So now, now we normally we just kind of riff and, and get into stuff, but I, I thought I'd try to try to hone us in and, and run us like a real gr- It's fucking bullshit. I just have one good to say. fucking luck with the yeah with yeah, yeah, yeah my, no
0: no my <laughs> notes on this movie are no joke. Kind of like the corkboard meme from fucking. Uh, It's Always Sunny, you know, the Charlie Day. It's all over the goddamn. (laughs) The light switches they have in the house
1: with the slider and the little knob under them are the same ones I have, and that got me excited, so if you want to know what my notes are like. Oh, wow. So anyway, first question, right up front. Point of discussion. Is Justin Benson's COVID hair better than Thomas Jane's grief hair?
2: No. Nothing beats Thomas Jane. (laughs) The
1: grief hair is really good, but the, I, think, I thought his coven hair was wins. impressive.
2: I, don't, I disagree. I think I think Thomas Jane's got that like kind of like waviness going on with it that just takes him over the
0: top. Ooh, I can turn this into another plug. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so the grief hair we're talking about is Thomas Jane's grief hair from Before I Wake, the Mike Flanagan movie. Mike Flanagan just did a live Q&A with Aaron Moorhead, Justin Benson, and Dave Lawson Jr. a couple of days before we're recording this. As of this recording Wish I'd, I'd,
1: I'd driven to New York for that shit, man.
0: LA. I still would have driven there. I'd have yeah, driven to
1: LA it. for that shit if I if we hit, if we had hit that billion dollar lottery, man.
0: Ooh, oh hell, hell yeah. yeah. But as of this recording, it's on Aaron Moorhead's Instagram live page. He put the whole thing up there. It's like forty minutes. It's a fabulous QA. So hey, I can Plug two people on one spot. Yay!
1: More more. Fucking Benson, Moorhead, and Flanagan One Room is basically like, you know, the kind of slash fiction we write for this podcast. <laughs>
0: it, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's all our favorite people in one place. Also, Aaron has quite possibly the best zinger I've heard in, in reference to a Mike Flanagan property. It's a good-natured one, but it's, when, just go watch it, you'll see what I mean. It's early, but it's an awesome Q&A. Yeah, I think Justin Benson's hair might win. I don't, oh, man. Ugh. I'm going with Justin on this one for now.
1: I I wanted to go with Justin, but I went back and revisited before I wake a little bit. And Thomas Jane's grief hair is just—it's a Thomas Jane. Mi- it's a miracle hair is on point. It is a miracle of of hair daring do, and it's perfect. As much as I like, and shit, mine looks like Justin's now. Like it's all long and stringy at this point too. So like I I wanted to vote with that, but I, yeah, I got
0: to go with Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane all the way. See the the movie itself. Like I said, might all my notes kind of blend and I have so many notes, but so many of them overlap. And so similarly, like it's hard to isolate my thoughts to just the hair because my, my brain keeps drifting to, well, I got to factor in the tank tops. And if you factor in the rainbow <laughs> assortment of tank tops, Justin has does does that sway your vote? I don't know. No, nobody's accusing
1: Thomas Jane in that movie of dressing like a child, like that happens in this one. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's just, the, it's the, the level of lift and separate in Thomas Jane's, brief that i gotta i gotta vote for that but lift and separate
0: wow <laughs> <laughs> well i guess yeah, so before we we dive into god where to start do you guys want to give like just quick thoughts like it... quick thoughts you think i have quick thoughts on <laughs> look, uh, Nick's look, sick, I... we're, we're recording this pretty late so i want to front load as much stuff as i can yeah uh, just hang in there nick
1: I'll, I'll throw this out front this movie hits so many of my fucking buttons it's uncanny I, I really adored it. You know, we, we've t- often discussed about how almost the best thing you can do in film is have two people in a room talking. Came up a lot when we mentioned Flanagan when we talked about Midnight Mass. And this movie is almost entirely two dudes in a room talking. And obviously we know that they have a good rapport. But I I just it's so interesting. The conversations are so fun. Each scene brings something new and different. And you know, when they start getting into conspiracy theory, not really conspiracy theories, but you know, like essentially yeah, yeah. conspiracy theories, yeah, yeah. the best way to describe it. And then, and we'll talk more about geocaching later, but it's a fucking horror movie that incorporates geocaching multiple times, <laughs> multiple times. One of my favorite hobbies. And so it's like, I mean, I don't, you know, there's a lot to say about this film. It's, it's a wonderful, incredible film. And as far as. COVID films, I, I think this is just such a an incredible example of what you can do with limited space, limited ability and limited budget and a whole lot of talent and you know, what is it, making movies with your friends that I just I make movies I with it. friends. Like when we first saw it at Sundance, I was like, Well shit. And you know, and then when I was rewatching it for this episode, it's like, God damn. So yeah, I obviously now, i mean like I mean, look, this is shooting fish in a barrel, obviously. <laughs> you know with us and, and Rustic we're, we're going to like it but it, just the fact that it was as good as it was and I know people are going to love it you know at large I'm glad it got a theatrical release in the time when people can go to movies I was a little bit sad synchronicity got kind of screwed on that oh, uh, um, synchronic not synchronicity I've done that 10,000 times I apologize
0: synchronicity yeah the Michael Keaton movie I got you
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's the police album but you know anyway hi Steve yeah so I loved it and there's, there's a lot to discuss, but just right up front, I, I obviously very much love this film.
0: Nick, what'd you think? It was pretty good. I mean, I'll, I'll be
2: honest, I had to watch it twice to really appreciate it. I didn't entirely like it the first time. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I went in way too much with a... So obviously this movie's really about the two guys and their interactions, but I got way too wrapped up in the supernatural scientific side of things so i'm like okay this is cool this is neat like these rabbit holes where are we going to end up where are we going and of course the payoff is you know doesn't entirely matter it's like wait what and it threw me for a goddamn loop hey one of them got a trip to space but yeah i know right but when i came back to it the second time i got more out of it okay like i approached it with a different mindset You know, you can't approach this in any sense of a creature feature or a, you know, what's the mystery type thing. It's really more about the relationships. And If you do that, you're going to get more out of it. I
1: would not say this is my favorite Rustic Films movie, uh, but I did enjoy it. I'm shocked it's not your favorite because it's essentially a math horror movie.
0: Yeah, but they don't give you the answers. (laughs) <laughs> but that's oh, oh man i'm already starting hand wiggling <laughs> that's not a good sign the one <laughs> thing i did
2: realize on the second viewing is in my opinion i feel everything john said is
1: wrong and everything levi said is correct <laughs>
0: oh I, I i love that we're getting into the reads already yes <laughs> so so
1: while you're still awake and cognizant there nick yeah for those at home i'm I'm on the tail end of a cold my apologies if i'm not <laughs> as exuberant there, there's a line in this which um it says, it has something to do with a rectangle when expressed as a ratio is that irrational number. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, on the
2: top of my head, I don't know. I could look it up for and you. And again,
1: explain it to me like I am a very small, stupid child. Because when it comes to math, I am a very small, stupid child.
0: Jake and I were both English majors, so...
2: I, mean, I meant to look into this a bit more, but if I remember off the top of my head, it has something to do with the golden ratio, which is essentially found throughout all existence and circles and in rectangles. But is that
1: triangle shit the golden ratio, essentially? Not...
2: A single triangle, no. Single triangle... No, not
1: a single triangle, but the pattern he keeps finding with the triangles, that's the golden ratio? Yes.
2: Because you'll notice they form kind of a, a spiral shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can find the golden ratio in the spiral shells of, like... The crustaceans you can find them in comparisons of your of the human body you know it, it's this uh common ratio that seems to thrive in the environment that is planet earth and outside too i believe in le- ellipticals and in orbits
1: yeah. i barely understand that but i just when somebody says a rational number i just like i go back to high school and where i'm ready to punch my math teacher in the neck and uh... <laughs> <laughs> all irrational means is you can't represent it in a fraction fucking mean anything to me.
2: <laughs>
1: I don't think you guys understand how bad I am at math. And yes, I know I worked in billing for 14 years. Leave it alone. I get enough of that shit from my father. But, uh... <laughs> Alright. I, w- I was hoping you could explain the math to me like I was really, really stupid, but uh, I'll have to, to go online and find somebody who can talk to me even dumber.
2: Okay, let's dumb this down a little bit more. You know the number pi? Yes. You know how it's 3.14159 and it just keeps going? Yes. It doesn't repeat? Yes, that's an irrational number. Okay. Yeah, because it's a complex number is essentially what it comes down to. That is unique in existence. But yeah, that
1: that's the short answer. I don't know why I brought. I I don't even know why I asked. I knew I wasn't going to really get it. Folks at
0: home, can you hear Jake and I just nodding politely?
1: I'm more of a "Hey, the squirrel is named Hungry Dave" kind of viewer than the golden ratio kind of viewer. So. Oh, we're gonna get in. I have two theories on
0: Hungry Dave before we're done. But no, yeah. Th- so th- I I was curious where where you stood on it, next So that's 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 interesting. So where do you stand, Eric? Did you enjoy this film? So, like I mentioned at the top, Jake, you and I saw this at Sundance. Yeah, and I had two thoughts coming out of it. First one, like I said, this movie's going to be a motherfucker to talk about <laughs> when we do an episode on it. we're 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 so far into recording that we barely touched on it that's mainly as i'm plugging like everything related to rustic and also just gushing wildly the latter half of that is probably not going to stop because the second thought that occurred to me after finishing the film at sundance was i sat there for a long time and said i think i'm really going to be in the minority on this but i think it's their best movie and i thought that as soon as i finished it at sundance And then, now that the movie is hitting theaters and played at Fantastic Fest and Beyond Fest, there have been not a preponderance of folks like, it's their best film. But I have seen scattered folks saying this, like, okay, cool. I'm not just a total outlier on this, but I do. I think this is their best movie.
1: What I've discovered, at least in my fandom of these things, is my favorite and what I think is the best movie of theirs is whichever one I have watched most recently. Yeah. As of right now, today, I agree with you. Tomorrow, when I watch Resolution,
0: I may not. But right now, today, I do. So, what's so fascinating about it too is it, we've been following their work for so long. You know, back when we watched all the stuff for when we did everything from Resolution up to Twilight Zone back in the Shitty Carl Cinematic Universe episodes, what we called it. We, we watched so many interviews with them, so we we have a good feel for their dynamic. You know, we've talked to Dave. Dave's amazing, so we know that these guys are good dudes, which is a fascinating thing because the movie feels like such a mean prank (laughs) because the movie is essentially like, I fucking dare you to go down the rabbit hole and drill down on this and spiral into various avenues to the same degree that the characters do it in the film. Whereas, you know, kind of the truth of it is, is a lot simpler than that and it's a trap i fell into because i have so many goddamn notes and i, I still have oh my god i still have stuff i haven't look i'm going to be missing a lot of forest for the trees on this because it's so fascinating to look at the trees and just go through the bits of it and see like what is or isn't you know symbolic what is or isn't real and just the various elements of it. but but the important thing what made it my favorite is is that it's such a, a fascinating film to watch Unravel. Uh, it's not like it's the most like, intricate or dense film I've ever seen, but the, the rhythm at which it plays out and the way they're able to balance, you know, this legitimate tension with constant humor, with, you know, cutaways and, and quips and, and quips, a lot of which are, are thematically resonant. But I think the emotional through line on this actually hit me even more than any of the other ones. And all their previous movies, you know, all, all the previous films are about pairs. I mean, they're, they're about a lot of things, but functionally at the core of them, they're all about pairs of individuals. So in Resolution, you know, you have two friends who have you know, a, a strained relationship, but there is a loving bond there. You know, Spring is about two wounded individuals to one degree or another who forge a romantic love bond, but another loving bond. Endless. brothers. Two people who share a deep familial love with each other. It has its complications, and they have a complicated power dynamic between the two of them. But the core of it is a loving relationship. Synchronic. Two longtime friends with a very deep bond. Again, this very deep, positive relationship. And this one isn't. Nope. And this one is you have a a dynamic where they are not friends. And there is no love there but there is a desperate need for it in one half of that dynamic it's not to say they're not social right but i don't think the relationship ever quite coalesces to any sort of like true friendship i think the the, no because the the complications that end up pulling everyone to their inevitable conclusion you know the, the gravity the movie keeps in terms of levi keeps using the gravity image that pulls it to It's inevitable terminus of where the movie is. The seeds of that dynamic are so present at the onset of their relationship. Yep. That even at the onset, it's just it's such a uniquely separate dynamic. And in the course of it, I just found it. All the other movies they've done, there was always some sense of an inherent optimism. Now, again, again, spoilers for all their movies. We're probably going to be tossing out shit at random that are references to their other movies or shorthand or whatever, because there's a lot just because it's habit at this point. So, but like resolution, dark ass ending, but because of the emotional dynamic at the core of it, there still feels like some inherent optimism, you know, throughout the film or some inherent positivity. Some of that's retroactive too, from, you know, residual from seeing the endless and, and seeing their scene in that, that kind of rolls back. But again, it feels like there's an inherent optimism. Even in Synchronics ending, even if you take a darker view of Synchronics Final Shot, again, it's an inherently optimistic, you know, this you know, sacrifice angle that's potentially going on. That's the the dark ending. This is not. And this movie's dynamic about, for me, how the flaws in ourselves and our need for answers can form so. One of the things that the endless and the previous films, but especially the endless, was so much about was the wonder that is curiosity, but the danger that comes when curiosity and the pursuit of knowledge becomes dogma, like the cultists at the Camp Arcadia. You know, you have this being. There's this thing that's largely beyond you know human comprehension. Try as we might, and they all the characters in that have various ways they articulate it. One of which is kind of visually harkened back in this movie how the ostensibly the leader of Camp Arcadia and the endless has the line. I like to think it's made up of impossible colors. And also that he's trying to distill this being down into a mathematical equation. Both of those, well, not impossible colors, but prismatic colors are absolutely crucial to this. And then also the mathematical equation element of it, but this need to take the unknowable and instead of just being fascinated by it and striving to learn about it, When we need to turn it into dogma, where we need to turn it into absolutes, and this is what it is. And in the case of Camp Arcadia, you know, this is the when we reach the end of the loop, we go out and we form this circle, and this is a sacred act. This is us offering up ourselves to this being. It's a sacred act. And you ascribe all this religious or ascribe all this meaning on it as your way of grappling with things you don't fully understand, when the reality is, in all likelihood, I have, like, 12 columns of, like, broad categories of notes. And one of them simply is the Arcadian as dickhole. <laughs> it's just an asshole. There is a lot of evidence to that. Yeah, potentially. But it's, you ascribe all this stuff, and but then you have, like, Shitty Carl's angle, which is like, look, this thing just likes to fuck with you and kill yourself, because killing yourself is going to be better than what it does to you. And ascribing intent to that being, this thing... Fucking loves fucking with Danubes because, <laughs> and it's one of the fun things to oh go, God, I keep going all over the place. Sorry. But that, that this movie is a twisted mirror of the previous movies as well in resolution. So we're operating under the assumption here for, for something in the dirt that at least some of the events of the movie, A, actually occurred for this argument's sake, and also B, occurred at the direction of this being that we'll refer to as the Arcadian, where it's a similar being. To the being from resolution and the endless. In resolution, it uses a Daniels to lure and entrap a Danube. The same last names and sends footage. And endless again sends footage to entice to entrap. All this calculating, you know, method, and that we have to ascribe this stuff as again. The phrase I keep coming back to is dogma, and when that happens. When you turn something into dogma, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when things become weaponized. That's when things become toxic. And that's when you form, you know, kind of a feedback loop within yourself that is deteriorating. And that's when you start to, when you have dogma, when you have a credo that is absolute, that is fixed, and you start to wield it as a weapon against other people. And another element of it in this too is about, instead of a loving bond, this movie with the central dynamic of the two characters We're not dealing with a time loop in this movie to the same degree that the other ones were, but we have a feedback loop, which is the two characters who are both wounded or damaged individuals to one degree or another, who are desperate to find the answers for their own flaws. Um, At some point before this is done, we'll get into what we think the meaning of something in the dirt in the title is, and I have a bunch of notes on that, and this is one of the ones that plays into that. Again, I probably reach you way too far in a lot of this, but you can't, if you've seen the movie, you can't fault me. I'm sorry. It's, you gotta at this point. We, we love Rustic too much. And I'll, I'll say this up front, too. So, God, I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. But I've mentioned this in previous episodes. My two cents on analysis and movies like the complicated movies and whatnot. I am very, very interested in questions when it comes to movies. I have very little interest in definitive answers. It's similar to. David Lynch, who I know Justin Betts and Aaron Moorhead are fans of. In fact, you know, David Lynch's dream logic is well, not David Lynch's dream logic, but the phrase dream logic, which I associate with Lynch, is said specifically in this. You know, there's a YouTube video going around recently that's like, here's what Twin Peaks is about. Here's the one single thing that Twin Peaks is about. I speak for myself, I do not care about distilling anything down to one single thing. I enjoy the questions and the exploration. But I I, I have very, not as much interest in getting to specific conclusions, which is kind of what my notes are. Is I have a whole bunch of notes of random batshit stuff that's either just making you know amusing, hopefully amusing riffs on things in the movies, or things that are interesting to ponder. But I don't have so much. In it. it is definitively this.
1: It's a journey, not a destination, guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's good because this is a journey, not the destination movie. It really is.
0: If you watch, so they there's a a q a on youtube currently where justin benson aaron moorhead dave lawson ariel vita and katie simons did a a q a at fantastic fest after this screen and aaron asked the, the crowd he says all right show of hands who thinks everything that happened in this movie is real and you can't see how many hands go up but you can see him kind of look and count all right who thinks everything that happened in this movie is fake who thinks mostly real some fake who thinks mostly fake some real and at the end of asking, he says, all right, that's what we wanted. Whoa. And yes, they had answers for all of them. One of them, I think, mostly fake, some real. They said, There's a, we got one hand. It's our distributor. Great. <laughs> but they <laughs> have responses for all of them. So yeah, so they, they are encouraging that debate, that ambiguity, and and the conversation rather, rather than the end. That is the stuff I'm interested in. Which is funny, because I think this is a case where there are definitive answers, because we know... <laughs> They've talked about how they have a Google Doc of where all this stuff comes from. So again, it's kind of a mean prank.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I have to say, and I feel like this is weird coming from me, Mr. I Hate Dreams and shit. I didn't (laughs) engage with this film on a level of, is it real? Is it fake? Didn't even really think about it too much.
0: No, me either.
1: Because it's important to the central concept of the film, but it wasn't important at all to my viewing and understanding and feelings of the film as i'm watching it mm-hmm. because in the end you know it's the interactions that i'm really like there for and you know obviously i love all the lore and my fucking notes go into that but it didn't matter to me if it was real or fake and, and that's to a large degree is a bit of an achievement for a film because i'm very much in the did this shit happen no you're wasting yeah. my fucking time and i didn't get that see, see our
0: nightmare on elm street series <laughs> that we just completed <laughs>
1: but i didn't that just didn't matter to me at all with this it was just so besides it's not besides the point that's wrong because it's part of the point of the film but it was besides the point to how i was engaging with the film
0: yeah the option is that if you want to engage it in that way right that option is open to you
1: i, w- I was so much more interested in their dynamics like yes. i consistently keep thinking about it when i watch it A scene very early on and it's you know when right when they just meet and levi asks him you gonna murder me and there's that long, long pause. pause. And I think about that long pause every time I watch this movie. And I keep going back to it. It's like, you know, obviously that's because they're trying to set up, you know, with that character. But also, it was on the table. Yes, Yeah.
2: Long <laughs> enough timeline was <is> going to happen.
1: <laughs> he wasn't planning on murdering him. But he hadn't removed that as an option for the future. And because of the way he thinks and the way his that character Because, you know, he calls him a, you know, with an apocalypse cult. Co- fascist yes <laughs> later on or whatever it is and and it's absolutely true but you keep getting those human bits like you know can i get another beer to help me sleep yeah you know and i think about somewhere between that long pause and can i get another beer to help me sleep is the truth of that character and whether you know the reality of the floating ashtray and stuff never really I mean, it's, it's not that it didn't matter it's that it didn't matter as much and it didn't It wasn't what was so engaging about this film for me. Like, I I wanted, I I didn't necessarily want the answers. I enjoyed the exploration, and I enjoyed the fact that they pulled some lost shit with this. Yeah. (laughs) Every time there was a question, they're like, all right, how about we answer that question with another question? Why does he have four toes? Because he's black smoke. What the fuck just happened? (laughs) That's exactly how I felt with this movie. The first time I was watching, I'm like, wait, not, oh, god damn it. (laughs) And I I think I kind of realized right up front that we were not getting a definitive answer on what was going on in that apartment. And I made my peace with it right away. And then I realized halfway through, I didn't have to make my peace because I just kind of didn't care what was actually happening because what was happening that was cool was them. Because as you, as you mentioned, Eric, this is a dynamic that's so different from the previous rustic films because these are two guys who kind of hate each other yeah like you know they they liked each other on a surface level but i swear to god you know every time you know that guy is out of his sight he's like oh man i just gotta get the fuck out of la what am i
0: doing you know? one of them is desperate for for any contact. sort of connection yeah. yeah
2: right and john just sees levi as a means of the end
0: yeah it's it's one thing that makes levi so i mean there's all the like it's, it's there's a reference in the movie too about like absolute evil uh, and and something like that which is kind of hand waved away and you know you potentially like with John yeah it's a, absolute evil well a lot of us could be. could be yeah but yeah with John it's A a damaged individual which we get into again talking about the dangers of turning something into dogma mm-hmm. and that becoming an issue and where you have this character whose entire when he states his worldview at one point or a variation of it it's this too shall end it's his apocalypse. Uh, yep. One of his very first lines of dialogue, and this is where I'm talking about their dynamic you know from the onset, is when they're looking at a fire in the distance, and he said, The weeds turn brown, the hills burn, everything smells like barbecue all the time. It's beautiful. His password is ju- I got along there. his password is judgment day. The book's on a shelf are the Art of War and Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged, you know, the angel on his door, the, the YouTube video he's watching, you know, under his breath the he promised says, Promised land. You know, what's even the big deal with, you know, like genocide it's like that is a that, flippant under the breath line of dialogue in this
1: movie <laughs> that line fucking gobsmacked me yep yep when i first saw this but and again when i saw it the second time it's like you know it's a big deal with genocide i like, hold up uh, i'm talking to a guy named motherfucking levi yep. you know <laughs> i just as a quick aside and a quick pause here the acting performances they do in this are so incredible yes in just like and it's all in their faces because Levi's face is so open and like he's so damaged. There's just not so much going on It's because it's all right there in his face. He's constantly sincere. Where yeah. Aaron Moorhead does so much with the face because he's just it's just like subtle shifts of his eyes and his eyebrows to watch this guy go from fucking sociopath. You know, I'm sure he killed all those cats in the basement to, <laughs> you know, a guy who needs... Love and companionship, and just you know, is is just genuinely a seeker of you know truth or whatever that he he's hiding under all this nihilism and destruction. But then he shifts, and it's like nope, nope, fucking black hole of terror. Yeah, and it's just it's wild how much they're
0: just doing with their fucking face muscles in this. Yeah, one of the things that I think is so interesting is is looking at this movie and how much they've grown. Yeah, which is is a bizarre thing for me to say given like how goddamn good resolution
4: is like yep.
0: how good they were as filmmakers at the start. And is also interesting given how this movie evolved like during this is an impromptu movie essentially, to a degree. You know, made during COVID, in very particular circumstances, with you know a three-person crew for the majority of it, and then a two-person art team who would drop stuff off on the doorstep, you know, sporadically, and then they would swap. And then later on there was a second unit because they decided during the making of it they talk in Q and A's about how the cutaway elements of it weren't originally there. They made a joke while they were you know, filming it. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we cut away to this thing? And then they thought about it as, Oh, I guess we actually need to do that. And so then while they were off working, I believe on moon Knight, Dave did all the second unit stuff. So all the like interviews and whatnot, but that added all those cutaways added according to Dave in, in interviews, 295 shots of cutaways god damn that were added impromptu it weren't built in at the initial stage they were nice though yeah just yeah you know, so the evolution of this film again it's in such particular circumstances and that it turned out Said so it's it's always weird to be like you know that this like the first cut of this was like three and a half hours and i and i don't know if that was like an assembly cut where they just dumped in everything but get to me it's the inflection of my voice is similar to when I was talking about Kiyoshi Kurosawa's cure, you know, where I spent in talking about movie imagery, I'd spent 30 minutes of that review talking about bathroom tiles. <laughs> and now it's this fucking movie. So yeah, buckle up. This might be a long one, but, but see, you can tell from my inflection how, how passionate I am about it because yeah, it's, it's one of those, it just feels like everything clicks, like everything feels the way it should be. But aside from them as creators, how much they've grown as performers looking at them their performances in the endless versus their performances here and in the endless again this is how this movie is kind of a twisted funhouse mirror of some of the previous works in the endless they're ostensibly playing what feels like extrapolations of their real personalities you know it's not exactly them but fundamentally some of their personality dynamics in based on interviews and stuff seem to be like some of their actual personality coming through so it's it's not them, but it's it's not, not them either. Yeah. Right. Whereas this is not, this seems to be you know, an absolute Let's fucking
1: hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but
0: well, I, I think like a lot of the emotional stuff ends up being somewhat grounded and which is Justin talks about this in one of the Q and A's, which is we set out initially to make characters, which were unlike ourselves. And then we end up using all this actual footage of ourselves as kids and, and weave in our actual lives fun. into the film, which defeats the person. That was a nice touch. So it I... And it's trying not to armchair psychoanalyze either, but it's this will probably come up later. But there's, there's elements where I think there might be emotional truths or it, it feels that way to me. Not broad things, but I'm saying bits and pieces of things. We'll probably get into what I mean later. Well, didn't Aaron go to medical school? I don't remember, remember that. I think Aaron went to film school. Justin might have gone to medical school. Because Aaron, went, I think, went to film school in Florida. But Justin might have gone to um, do something uh, else yeah i can't remember yeah we're we're showing holes in our rustic film cred oh my god look i'm sorry like i said i got too many notes on this fucking i can't even keep my notes on this movie straight there's so much bleed so god only knows like what i'll be able to recall from previous stuff we've talked about on this pod but two years ago man but yeah that their personalities are in this movie are seen like such inversions of who they actually are and that they do so well. With it yep. too. Yeah. And and again, a movie made in such extreme circumstances, which was probably a benefit with it being such an enemy, you know, guys who all know each other so well and you know a small set and being able to you know put more of yourself out there. But yeah, it's just oh
1: It's funny, you know, obviously I wish COVID had never happened. But it's one of those things you occasionally hear people talk about great art coming out of like great tragedy or trying circumstances. And looking back on some of the films that have come out of COVID in COVID times and the you know the things that went into it, and the creativity that went into it. It seems to be a true thing that you know, like you've talked about art from World War II, shit like that. You know, because you look at movies like this or Revealer or um, what's the, uh, the Zoom one? Host.
0: Host, yeah.
1: You know, things like that. All these great horror movies and all these other movies that are, you know, made Necessity under...
0: Necessity is the mother of invention and...
1: Yeah, are under duress but they end up being just these genuine achievements. Yeah. Of film and and seeing that again, you know, there is certainly a part of me that that wishes you know this movie never existed because COVID never existed. Mm-hmm. A big part of me, to be fair, but the fact that some good came out of it, I guess, it doesn't really take the edge off. I don't know where I am going with this. It's just it's interesting. No, it's that, nice
2: that, to find some positivity in the awful.
1: The, there, yeah. the truism about about great tragedy being able to produce some positive, and this film being one of those positives that it's it's. I was reflecting on that a lot today, just thinking about the film and that
0: talking kind of feeding off of that in terms of like influences they had going into this film i'm gonna bring up one of my main crackpot bits that i want to bring up before nick collapses completely
4: (laughs) (laughs) because you'll you'll
0: appreciate this one so like i said i checked out some q a's and some interviews they did on this movie david justin and aaron and they're talking about influences we mentioned the top lake mungo which we know they love we need to check out our lake mungo episode we talk about it with dave it's still one of my absolute favorite episodes we've ever done. But you can absolutely see the, like, Mungo influence here. You can see David Lynch influence, what they've mentioned before. They've mentioned Stephen King. They've mentioned Mark Danielewski, who wrote House of Leaves. I didn't realize this, but Justin Benson's arm tattoo, or at least the big one, like around his bicep is a House of Leaves tattoo. Huh. Nice. They mentioned Alan Moore. And we said time and time again, the dream is, if we ever get him on the pod, is there any Alan Moore property you guys want to talk about? Come on and do it. I've got Jerusalem next to me. I bought that motherfucker after finishing this film because I knew it was an influence. We will read Jerusalem for you if you want to do it. <laughs> I bought
1: Jerusalem in a bookstore in Australia and carried it back with me, which was not my smartest thing. But I would absolutely yeah, let's do Let's see if
0: the microphone picks this shit up. Eh, a little bit yeah that's a thousand pages hitting the floor i'm not going to drop it on my desk because my desk is rickety and i think it might legitimately break it so <laughs> that's a big-ass book
1: i'll, I'll do an alan more episode in a heartbeat but
0: if you don't want to do jerusalem fine we can do from hell providence swamp thing but fucking i wait for them to like throw a curveball like i really want to do spawn wildcats devil day I will talk Devil Day all goddamn day! i got that shit! (laughs) (laughs) All four issues of fucking Devil Day!
1: You can't see it. I got about 12 comic boxes next to me. That shit's in there. I have that in the room with me. Spawn Wildcats, Devil Day, fuck yeah! (laughs) I got that whole Moore Wildcats run right here. Whew!
0: Didn't expect that to come up, I gotta say. (laughs) But they brought up a name... That they've probably mentioned before as an influence, but I hadn't heard them mentioned before, at least not that I remember. But it's not a surprise. They brought up Grant Morrison. Oh, I love Grant
1: Morrison. Oh, I love Grant Morrison. And they want to come on and do The Invisibles. We'll do that, too. Oh, hell yeah.
0: When they mentioned Grant Morrison, I thought, I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And then I sat and thought about it. And I said, wait a minute. Is the solution to the dilemma in the endless with the time loops? The same solution Grant Morrison tried to implement to save The Invisibles from getting canceled. So, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I had not thought of that. Way back, I don't remember what issue it is. I have the page in front of me. I don't remember what issue. I think it was issue 16, thereabouts. The Invisibles was not selling great, it was on the verge of cancellation. Grant Morrison, I don't know if they still are, but. Grant, at least at one point, was a practitioner of chaos magic, very much believed in in magic as a legitimate thing, uh, as does Alan Moore, but but to a different variety is my understanding. But Grant Morrison, believing in chaos magic, took over the letters page of the Invisibles and had drafted a magic sigil, which is printed on the letters page, asking fans of the Invisibles to basically... He needed them to summon enough goodwill and chaos magic that would help boost sales of the book and re-energize it and change the fate of the book. Nice. And the way to do this was to take this sigil, keep it in your mind, and, well, let me read it. So here's the sigil, and then there's the, the description from the letters page of how to implement it. Of all the available methods, the quickest and easiest involves holding the image of the sigil in one's mind at the moment of orgasm. Unless you're a tantric adept, masturbation tends to be the simplest way to achieve the necessary focus. It's private, it's reliable, and most of us are already experts. At this point, prudish readers may feel the need to throw the comics to the floor while others will no doubt be chortling incredulously. But let's see how dignified and clever they look next time they're chortling away and dreaming of insert name here. (laughs) And he goes on this whole thing. So he wanted everyone to reading this book to picture this sigil at the moment of orgasm because according to them, apologies if I flub, Grant Morrison has recently adopted they-them pronouns, so apologies if I say he-him out of habit, just out of years of habit. Grant Morrison (laughs) wanted everyone to masturbate and hold the image of this sigil because at the moment of orgasm, the universe blinks, as they put it. And as there's a moment of a surge of energy. Best of all, they wanted everyone to do this on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> which is this month. That <laughs> was pretty close to the hopeful release date of this episode. Shit. <laughs> we could get Invisibles back. So you think of all the awkward conversations that were had where some uncle inadvertently walked in on the family dinner of some kid whacking it to the Invisibles. And he goes, why were you whacking it at it until he's played? Mom, you don't understand. I'm trying to keep my favorite comic from getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was immensely amused at that. When they mentioned Grant Morrison, I was just thinking of like Shitty Carl. It was like the bit in The Endless where Shitty Carl has to like hand scrabble the map and be like, all right, I need you to take this map, go get a gun from the gun nut tweaker, bring the gun back to me, Don't you know, hand scroll on the sigil. All right, I need you to take this sigil, tell the gun nut tweaker, next time he's rubbing one out, picture this thing. And so if there's enough, like, you know, jack magic going on <laughs> that the Arcadian will basically blink and all of a sudden the time loops are empty, and he's like, oh, god damn it! <laughs> I dropped them all, shit.
1: To be fair, in the, in the Endless, they kept coming back, so one of the things they talk about is how many hours it takes to perfect the skill. Yeah. Well we didn't we didn't meet masturbating smiling or <laughs> whatever. You know, we we met smiling Dave, but Whackin not masturbating Joe. <laughs> ah. Fucking Wackin' Joe was off in the weeds out there, really perfecting his art. So maybe, you know, at the end of that, that that's what happened. Could be. Wackin' Dave achieved, you know, the miracle. Woo! That's how you kill the
0: Arcadian. So I was so excited, I was like, oh great, I get to make a Grant Morrison Invisibles masturbation reference. I knew of this, I had never seen the sigil before oh! I just sent it to you guys in our own chat so you can see it. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is three circles, horizontal, much like three phases of a moon, resting on the bottom of an inverted triangle, which is pointing down to a circular object, much like a dome <laughs> or loop of sorts. We may have cracked it, fellas. So... Oh so no, it's holy fuck the sigil has three moons. So I was like <laughs>
3: so just
0: like this film, inadvertently I'm trying to make a joke and I was like, wait a minute, this actually kinda works. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. Wow.
0: So there we go. So now we know the secret of how everyone inevitably gets out of the time loops. <laughs> Jack magic. It ain't pretty, but Grant Morrison whack magic. Works every time. I, I gotta say, I feel like shitty Carl is the go to
1: guy for whack magic. <laughs> Just gotta whack it till you make it. That's all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but the dude in the tennis is still fucked. Because how long his loop is! <laughs> the guy who's on the five-second <laughs> loop. <he's> like, <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs>
1: I mean, he's been in that a while. That shit might have a hair trigger. It's like I just gotta get my hand in my... Pa- I just gotta get
2: my hand in my... I just gotta get my hand in my...
1: <laughs> it's like a race with the devil. Like, like five seconds is is you know, I, I don't know what the world record is, but that would have to be pretty close, man. Yeah.
0: So there's a really random thing <laughs> that I, still I was like, wait a minute, this actually kind of works. What the fuck? Goddamn, Grant Morrison's magic
1: shenanigans. I didn't even know how to follow that, man. I just got notes on, like, geocaching over here.
0: <laughs> well, so so I'm going to run down real quick, too, just because, again, it's us. So these are all the callbacks and Easter eggs I caught to previous Rustic films. So let me see if you guys, because, again, I didn't have a chance to rewatch Spring or Synchronic right before this, so I'm sure I missed some stuff. But so we've got, obviously, the whole concept of circles and lenses. I'm going to get more into lens stuff later. The cultists and the Endless have the circle that they use for the symbol of the Arcadian. There's all the... POV camera shots and these god's eye shots. They're very specifically there's a literal god's eye shot in the desert with the you know the big trek down to the the abandoned house they find.
1: And that of course had the the giant Arcadia Brewing billboard on it and then
0: Yes, the, so so there's the Arcadia Brewing thing with endlessly refreshing and third moon lager. Third moon lager I was hoping it would be a reference to Fat Cat Logger, the, the commercial that they did previously with Finny uh, Curran and Peter Cielo. But, but and I assume you longer.
1: saw the, the Loot Marker Hoodoo jigs Yep.
2: Yes, we did. The
0: Loot Marker Hoodoo are there.
1: We saw the TV
2: and the tapes from a resolution at one point.
0: So, yeah, the in John's, when he's talking about his dreams and seeing this thing in his dreams... The third one is the media, well, quote unquote, the Rowan equipment room from the endless, but yeah, the, yep. the storage room that is unlocked with all the media. It's that television. There are, again, the prismatic colors that that occur, because again, we know house theory in the endless about this thing being made of impossible colors. Also the Arcadian's fascination with media, lenses, whatnot. The electromagnetic effects in terms of the, the television distortion is similar to the Arcadian commandeering media and resolution. This is a stretch, but the birds thumping into the door is similar to the ending of The Endless when they're trying to jump through and there's the birds that you know, thump in. I
1: did think about that, especially when he got him
0: in the boxes and stuff. Yeah, felt like oh, we'll fallback. get back to... Hopefully we'll get back to that image. Yeah, I got I got some stuff on that. There's the poster for The Endless, except now it's the Arcadian. There's the ancient Skull Elder God statue thing from The Endless. Then in every time they show that, not every time, but I think two of the times they show the Skull Elder God statue thing from The Endless. They also show the close-up of a three-eyed wooden carving. That's the totem pole from the Endless. No, nope. there's the body cam footage, which is S H T Y C R L body three. So the the Shitty Carl police officer on the uh, the body cam footage.
1: Love it, love
2: it.
0: Not ne- not something that I think off the top of my head appeared in a previous film but it's certainly a rustic connection is the fucking rustic is in this <laughs> ye rustic in is yep. in the movie
1: yep. so. the red flower of course he's smoking yep, the red flower, red flower. Yep.
0: yep 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 House of the Rising Sun plays when Levi is talking about how he found the skull it's another callback too where again the, the Arcadian being a colossal dickhole you know gives coordinates basically to go find some harbinger of awfulness that the Justin Benson character has to dive down to fetch uh, not a reference to a, a previous Rustic film, but like I think we mentioned earlier, if you've been following the Rustic films guys for a while, you know that one of their dream projects is a television series based on Aleister Crowley. And Liam Gavin's character is named Froder Pertorabo, which is the name Aleister Crowley chose when inducted into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So we've got an Aleister Crowley Easter egg, or at least one. I'm sure there's a bunch more.
1: I can say, too, that I spent some time trying to figure out, when they go to Inspiration Point in Runyon Canyon, if you look at the sign, there's a couple stickers on it. And I'm like, I wonder if that's something. It's not. It's two uh, LA-based clothing companies, and you can't really pronounce either of them. It's like Legacy, but with X's and uh zantranu or some shit i looked them both up they both have fairly <laughs> nice websites one of them's a little outdated and has got a few x's so i'm not sure they're still in business but anyway they were not easter eggs uh, okay. so if you're looking up those two the, the stickers on the sign it's just stickers that happened to be on the sign when they were shooting i would guess
0: uh let's see are there anything i missed from the main films because then after this i made notes and it was like all right us being us get some bone storm bullshit in here Uh. i got some some bone storm nonsense to bring in because it's it's canon to me god damn it yeah i didn't i didn't catch much more than that so here we go with the bone storm stuff (laughs) oh boy is this a reach um one was kind of legitimate one the distortion effect used when they're installing the security camera that almost exact same distortion effect is used in bone storm there's also a a shot of there's sporadic static and there's shot of the, the skeletal cultist in Bone Storm where I have like you know, interference in the footage. And again, a lot of the distortion is probably that's a, an actual like buffering distortion effect that camera has. But nevertheless, I did see that particular one in Bonestorm. It was like they find a dead cat in Bonestorm. They find a dead cat in this. The cat <laughs> parasites are making it. It's like, I know it's a stretch, but I'm going to incorporate Bonestorm. God damn it. They got quartz. They're wondering if blood is what it takes to activate the quartz. Bone storm. We've got the fire crackhead blood, which activates the sigils. Uh, <laughs> what was the other one I had? I was like, they got movie ends or, you know, the climax in this movie has fireworks in the sky, just like the fireworks that set off in Tijuana in bone storm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure gas money kids is behind something in this fucking movie. <laughs> and then my other note is for the love of fuck, please let these guys make their Alistair Crowley series,
1: please. Jesus. Just give them the money to do it. It would be amazing. So to circle back on something you, you mentioned in your, your mini rant there, cat poison. Mm-hmm. So the cat mind control parasite is Toxoplasma gondii, mm-hmm. and I'll probably pronounce it as G-O-N-D-I-I. This is something I've actually read about before because, you know, we have a house full of cats and like just a lot of cat shit. And Jen has a tendency to do the... uh the litter boxes, and I remember reading somewhere that it was more dangerous for women. It turns out that's just pregnant women correct? because it can be bad for kids. But that shit is fascinating. So, like, what it does, and let me read this because I, I pulled this from an article, and I'm just going to read the, the whole thing because it's I find it fascinating. The parasite alters the behavior of rodents, making them less afraid of taking risks. It is also known to make mice attracted to the scent of cat poop. In other words, the parasite does something to the brain of mice and rats to make them more likely to dart out in front of a cat and be caught, killed, and eaten. So, cat's shit is a trap for mice. Wow. That's amazing. But also, it affects humans. Yep. So, Which is what he's alluding to in this. So, in short, just like an infected mouse is more adventurous, an infected human is also more prone to take risks, sometimes with pretty devastating consequences. And I was thinking about this because, again, you know, house full of cat shit. And Nick and I used to do a lot of dumb shit. I'm wondering <laughs> if it poisoned my brain into doing things like, you know, Ohio.
3: <laughs>
1: but so sometimes they're pretty devastating consequences. At least two studies, one analyzing 370 people in Turkey and another looking at nearly 600 people in the Czech Republic, have shown that people who test positive for Toxoplasma gondii antibodies are more likely to have a car crash. Cat shit is responsible for bad drivers. There isn't a lot of evidence to explain why and how latent infections of toxoplasmosis might affect people's personalities, such as making them less afraid of risk. Researchers behind the car crash studies, however, wrote that the parasite leaves behind lifelong cysts in the brain, which is thought to increase production of dopamine, a chemical messenger in the brain that is known to affect people's risk and rewards calculations, and that may have a role to play. Another interesting thing about toxoplasmosis, it's a predictor of entrepreneurial activity. Huh? So toxoplasmosis people are more likely to be entrepreneurs. Is it? So all of these business fucks might just have <laughs> cat shit brain, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to be able to think of next time I interact with somebody along those lines. Like, oh, you're starting a business. What color's your cat? <laughs> 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 How did you know I have a cat? You don't want to know, buddy. Persian <laughs> or sphinx? <laughs> So I just—that's fucking. I mean, I had heard of it before because I knew it was bad, you know, in some respects. I didn't know that cats were fucking messing with my mind to make me go out and drink more. Those little shits.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you bastards! <laughs> you little, little <laughs> asshole! And they bring up a lot of little things like that in this movie. Oh yeah. yeah. And I I went down some. So that that's all I've got on cat shit brain. Anybody else? Because I got another. Like I one. said, this
0: movie's mean.
1: <laughs> all right. While we're on the subject of weird things that this movie talks about, this movie talks about Jerusalem syndrome. Mm-hmm. Now, I was familiar with Paris syndrome, which is a phenomenon where, I'll read a little thing it, even more bizarre travel illness, this is Paris syndrome. This temporary disorder affects, almost only affects Japanese tourists, but it affects more than that, but it is, it's like 93% Japanese tourists, for fucking, who knows, who travel to the city of Love, and get so disappointed with the reality, they get sick. And it's essentially that people have such these ideas of of Paris that when they go to Paris, it breaks their brain because it's just a normal city, you know, city of lights and all this romance. And you're walking around, you step on dog poop and it just fucking blows your mind out front. Well, I'll call him friend of the pod. Whatever. My buddy Trapper Shope has a song called Paris Syndrome that I was humming or singing when we logged on. tonight. Eric's like, don't let me interrupt you because I didn't realize he was there. And I'm just singing away. (laughs) (laughs) it's a great song it's available on spotify uh go look it up but yeah paris syndrome but they talk about jerusalem syndrome which i had never heard of and jerusalem syndrome i'm gonna read this jerusalem syndrome is a group of mental phenomena involving the presence of religiously themed obsessive ideas delusions and other psychosis like experiences that are triggered by a visit to the city of jerusalem it is not endemic to one single religion or domination but affects jews christians and muslims of many different backgrounds it is not listed as a recognized condition in the diagnostic and statistical manual Vental disorders but there's an actual hospital devoted to treating it in jerusalem huh no shit so basically they mention it in the film they say people go to jerusalem and you know it feels like their whole life led up to this and that's true in a way but it also fucking breaks their brains in half People begin to think that they're like people from the Bible, like people wandering around thinking they're John the Baptist because they're walking, you know, to see the Wailing Wall, and like, oh shit, it's me, John the Baptist. You know, and then, <laughs> you better hope their buddy doesn't, you know, become back as a guard. I'm like, oh, John the Baptist, I just got to take his head, you know, like get the quickening out there, you know. <laughs> that could be only but one. That shit is like I had never heard of that. Any and, and it, remember it, the deal, Lazarus, ha, on ground. <laughs> But it it affects about four to five people a year now. It used to affect upwards of 40 to 50.
3: Yeah.
1: And they're not even sure why it, it the amounts of it went down. But one of the things, like, it it affects people who had previous mental issues or previous issues, you know, history of psychological disorders like schizophrenics. It really Weird. beats the shit out of when they get there. Weird. But also people who have no previous histories or family histories. People just walk up and it's like, oh, shit, I'll marry the mother of God today, you know? And Wow it's it's wild and i so I, my father's been there a few times and i called him up and i asked him and i called him up and he's like well what's wrong because you know we usually don't do a lot of phone stuff we have a once a week call i'm like have you ever heard of jerusalem syndrome he's like what are you talking about and we talked for a little while and he he never experienced something like that although you know he's got an ego maybe he did and he's just still playing it off <laughs> and then i found out there's a goddamn simpsons episode about it
0: no I was shit i of
1: that no way yeah i was unaware of it too yeah, it's uh, Simpsons episode, season 21, episode 16, The Greatest Story nice. I Ever Dode. And it's available on uh, Disney+. Plus. So, like, one other thing on that is, all right, so, and I'm going to probably not pronounce the name, Israeli psychiatrist, the Ayer Bar-El, an expert on the condition, co-wrote a paper for the British Journal of Psychiatry in 2000 to describe those affected. Most people who experience it have underlying psychiatric illnesses, such as schizophrenia, which drove their decision to travel to the holy sites in the first place perhaps in some sort of messianic quest. And that's what happens in the Simpsons episode. They go to, a bunch of them go to Israel and Homer decides he's the Messiah. And then everybody else decides they're the Messiah too. Which is pretty <laughs> fucking hilarious when Skinner's mom says, no, I'm the Messiah. And it's just, like, <laughs> lost my shit. More controversial is the idea of true Jerusalem syndrome, that otherwise healthy people with no history of mental illness can arrive in Jerusalem as regular tourists and become disturbed. Between 1980 and 1993, there were 42 patients who fitted this category. Like I've gone, I'm pretty well traveled. I've been to, you know, Beijing and Australia and all over the place. And I got to say, I never had a psychotic break in any of these cities that wasn't fueled directly by alcohol (laughs) or other things. (laughs) Won't say I never had a psychotic break abroad because, you know, those who, you know, live in glass houses and shit, but never a religious one. Now I
0: want to go to Israel and see what happens. Like, I got a beard right now. I can play it you off. You've never gone down to, to the lower part of our state, get a little too much scrapple for breakfast and get Smyrna syndrome?
2: <laughs> see, I don't think Jerusalem would do it for you. I think you need to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something.
1: That's a religious experience for you. Look, my most recent trip to Cleveland includes some black spots, so I, <laughs> I can't say that that wouldn't happen. Yeah, there's a little bit I don't remember quite. Anyway, uh... I had a lot to drink. We went to a German restaurant. It was a mistake. And then anyway, whew, I'm lucky I got back from Cleveland. There's another one. They don't mention it in the movie, but it's kind of connected. It it's called Stendhal's syndrome, yep. yeah, a.k.a. Yeah, foreign syndrome, which is a disorder that travelers get when they're overcome by the beauty of Italian artwork. Especially a whole gallery of beautiful artworks and become sick. Symptoms include dizzy spells, palpitations, hallucinations, disorientation, loss of identity, and physical exhaustion. I think I think uh, Dario Argento is a movie about that. Uh, that may be. He just described going to a punk concert for me, so I'm kind of curious to go to Florence. <laughs> but it yeah, so I had never heard of that one either. I just the whole concept is fascinating. It's just a throwaway line in this movie. And I spent a lot of time reading about it, so that's that's what this movie does to you. Especially if you're, you know, prone to it. We'll call that rustic syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: what we're doing now is rustic syndrome. (laughs) Where a movie says, here's the dangers of of going down these holes. And now we proceed to replicate it. The danger is, is, like we said, turning it into absolutes, which we're not doing. This is the fun part. This is the the healthy part we're doing. Hopefully. Until Dave comes on later and says, you dumb motherfuckers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So he holds up a book. Early on in this, called the Geometry of Magnetism, which he says is written in Esperanto. Did anybody is anybody? I, I don't think it's a real book. I tried to find it. I couldn't find anything. I
0: th- I didn't look. Re- I thought I looked at the t- yeah. I don't think it is.
1: But he says Esperanto, and Esperanto is a bit of a trigger to me. I am fascinated by Esperanto, largely because of the movie Under a Silver Lake where it comes up, and I've been I've, it's something I like. I'm not proficient in languages, but I kind of want to learn it just because fuck it. But I, I was reading a lot about Esperanto this time and the history of it. And this is kind of interesting because it's, it's such a, a kind of a counter to the character in this. So, like, I'm going to read this. This is about Zamenhof, who, who invented the language. And this is why Esperanto exists. Zamenhof had a good reason for wanting to add yet another language to his repertoire. During his life, Zamenhof became fascinated by the idea of creating a tolerant world free from horrors of war. Being Jewish in Poland at the time of the Russian pogroms, which my family was, they fled the pogroms, and as anti Semitism was reaching new heights. (coughs)
3: Hmm,
1: no reason to bring that up. Um being Jewish in Poland at the time of the Russian pogroms, and as anti Semitism was reaching new heights, Zamanov dreamed of a day when people could come together. To make this world a reality, he decided the best thing to do is to make an international auxiliary language. The idea behind an IAL is that it's designed so that it's not anyone's mother tongue. But people who can quickly learn it As a second language to facilitate easy conversation For people from anywhere in the world Esperanto is not meant to replace other languages Only to the supplement them. So it's supposed to be a universal common tongue Which, you know, is a concept in like D&D But not the world It's kind of, you know, English But English gets an advantage this way If everybody has to learn it But Do you know who's a native speaker though? When you talk about fucking conspiracy theories? Uh oh George Soros No shit What? <laughs> His wow. father was a real huge proponent of Esperanto, so George Soros grew up speaking Esperanto. That's hilarious! Whoa! So, like, if you want to get into some deep Q fuckery, and I do not, <laughs> please no, in any fashion. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just fascinated by that. But you know who else spoke it? it was Jared Tolkien, which is the least surprising bit of news That's you could not possibly get, right? At all.
2: No, <laughs> it's not even a slight shock.
1: <laughs> But I I love the idea of this book that this guy is lying about having read as a kid, and he just bought is written in fucking Esperanto, and I I don't understand quite the connection between Esperanto and L A. Again, it came up in Under Silver Lake, which is when I first went down this rabbit hole, and I love that movie, highly recommend. Yeah, oh it. yeah, Under the Silver Lake. Not for everybody, but it still is still on my to do list. Maybe yeah. one of these noir vembers or something. We'll we'll. Yeah, I w- would. Yeah, you could almost call it a horror movie in some facets.
0: We're starting to build up this queue of like noir adjacent stuff that we know. It's like Kid Detective's number one. It's like number two is oh, under I the sofa. That. Like the Kid Detective just because we really need Nick to see Kid Detective. Well, yeah. So anyway, I just I love the idea
1: of this character reading this geometry of magnetism, this weird you know super science book in Esperanto, this language of peace, while his whole thing is the fucking apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Again,
0: just, oh man, all the contradictions are so fucking fascinating. I, I
1: absolutely love that. That's because he's so full of shit. How do you say, what's the big deal of genocide in Esperanto?
0: The religious zealot, essentially, the religious wingnut in this movie, is the first person to eat, or at least cut open, the literal forbidden fruit that sprouts from the plant and then makes fun of Levi for giving away apples. Those are all going to come up again, too, before we're done. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, I I love the scene with the fruits. Like, if I could be the first person to eat interdimensional fruit and die from that, I could be I'm all okay right with it. it.
3: Yeah.
1: And my like my brain was like, yeah, I get that. Probably because I have four cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah I love the, the fruit scene. That was great. He's so happy about it too.
0: Yeah, it's it's like going circling back to the cat thing briefly. It was when they get to the bit where they're out in the desert and they find the radio. And again, it's we recently did Cure and we get to that sequence. And I don't think Cure was an influence on that particular scene. Kiyoshi Kurosawa was Cure. But it's a very Cure sequence just in terms of the ramshackle house, the droning you know, radio like this, very similar in the audio quality to the phonograph, complete with then the shot of um, when Levi runs out and John just goes and stands in the doorway. And, all, and again, you just have him standing in the framework of this ramshackle building there's no score it's just the wind whistling it i was like oh this is so cure but that got me thinking of going to again the cat stuff and then talking to this offhand stuff about cat mind control and all this stuff and it was but that got me into cure which it's is it's real look it up it's real yeah i did bitch but got me into like cure in the mesmerism angle and it's like you know in a way it, when i was thinking about the mesmerism it's like there's not mesmerism in this but it was in terms of all this cat mind control stuff it's like even that is a parallel for the gaslighting that is going on in this film so there's even it's 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 not a one-to-one but there is a bit of a parallel there so even just this completely weird route the cure took me to was like oh wait a minute all right so while we still have
1: nick before he falls into complete unconsciousness here
0: i'm just gonna like go through like unused clips of previous episodes And splice in Nick comments. So it sounds like he's really engaged the whole time. (laughs) love you. (laughs) Let's talk
1: about geocaching. Ah, let's talk about geocaching. Oh,
0: shit. We should have brought that up earlier. I'm sorry, Nick. I'm sorry.
1: So they go geocaching in this. Now, geocaching is a hobby that Nick and I both have very much enjoyed. Nick, to extreme degrees. I did one a day for over a year. Yeah. And in Delaware, there are a lot of geocaches. So that was able. So. They go to Runyon Canyon in this. And it, it took me a little while to figure out where they were and then found the exact point they're at, which is Inspiration Point. That's where they're, with the GPS, they're wandering around. They have that nice view of the city. Uh, there are no geocaches there. I busted out the <laughs> geocache. <laughs> <laughs> found the degrees, went and found that it. I sound
0: like Return of the Living Dead. You mean the
1: movie night? <laughs> <laughs> I was lied to by my album covers. <laughs> but they... Um, there are some in that park. And now I kind of want to know if Benson and you know, Dave went and found those geocaches. It's so neat that it's incorporated in this. And they're doing it with, you know, an actual GPS device, whereas most people do it with, you know, a phone app at this point. I, yeah. I have a GPS device. I've tried it. I've used it mostly when I've planted geocaches, but I, I've certainly used it. It's much harder because, again, it's math and I'm stupid. <laughs> but it, it's neat because that I you know I was kind of looking and I found that park and that what a neat looking park. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find the name of the mo- the closest geocache because of my subscriptions is I, I don't have an active subscription. Yet. I haven't done it in a little while. I did it a lot during COVID. You know I we did it for you know a few years on and off, but I started getting back into it during COVID because it's one of those things like well can't interact with people I can go into the woods and hunt garbage and. <laughs> And if you, don't, if you don't know what geocaching is, what it is, it's it's a worldwide scavenger hunt, essentially. People take you know things and hide them in places, and then they leave a clue. And it's all done with coordinates and clues. GPS and, marking, yeah. You know, and all kinds of things. I'd mentioned, you know, Nick and I went to Ohio. One of the first things we did in Ohio was find the closest geocache so we could get one in that state. And, of course, we also found a snake with it because it was in a light pole. Snake! Here's the thing, you don't know, geocachers know that normal people don't. Like, you see light poles in, in parking lots? You know the little curtains at the bottom? Those lift up. Yes, they do. And if you lift them up, and a lot of them, you're going to find a pill bottle with, like, dog tags and a thing with people's names, you know, a scroll with people's names on it, because that's what a geocache is. You go, you write down your name, you show you found it, you log it in an app, and and it's cool. It's a fun activity. I've used it
2: to my advantage, actually. Uh, when, when we went to a, a union game one time, <laughs> I, 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 I have this pocket knife I keep on me, At all times, just you know, it's a tool. Just you know, it's useful. But there I am. I'm getting. I'm walking up to the guys, and they got the metal detector wands out. I'm like, oh shit, I, I can't take this. I I have to go back to the car and put this away. Of course, we parked like like felt like a damn mile away from the stadium. I was like, screw it. So I ran to the nearest light pole, lifted the curtain, shoved my knife in. There. It was like, no one's going to look for this. <laughs> Nobody looks in here. This is good. There's no geocache here. I'll just make it my own little hidey spot. And I came back after the game. was waiting for me. It's perfect.
1: Yeah. And it, it's a great hobby. Highly recommend it. Was, it's a good thing. It's a fun thing to do in the woods. Um, like you said, we've done it ages. And they do it in this movie. And it's like, I remember telling friend of the pod, Liza, I know you don't like horror movies, but when this one comes out, you're going to have to watch it because it's got geocaching in it. Like, real actual geocaching, not just like, you know, we're alluding to it. Like, they go geocaching in this. Yep, twice. And and I got so excited when we saw it in Sundance. Like, I was like, holy fuck, geocaching. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of find one. They find a hollow rock with a scroll in it. It's not... Few problems with it. A, it's just lying there, and if a geocache was just lying there, it's because somebody didn't put back in the right spot. But That's right. That's the way to get kicked. And it's got the address on it, and I found things like websites and cards and stuff in them, so it's neat. But and then they, of course, go to the website and go down that road. But just the fact that they these dudes made a movie with geocaching, it's one of those like, how do you make something so perfectly directed to us? <laughs> but anyway, if next time I'm in LA, I'm absolutely going to to Running Canyon. I'm gonna do some geocaching and may just hide one called the Rustic Cache at this point out there. Ooh. Oh, that'd be perfect. That'd be perfect. Oh. Nice. Because I've thought about doing that here, but it doesn't make as much sense in Delaware. But anyway, yeah, that's the the bit on geocaching. It's you know, I, it looks like a kind of a conspiracy thing in the in the film or something. You know, that weird people do. But in reality, it's 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 a weird thing that people do for weirdos <laughs> like to go in the woods and- it's for weirdos and retirees <laughs> it's surprising how many old people do it a lot fair number of them like i never thought about that and then we have there's a big geocache community in delaware and nick and i and and liza went to a dinner that they had once a month and that was like, we were the youngest by we far. were the youngest by a lot and that was a shock and it explained why they kept going to old people restaurants for these dinners too Anyway, it was that I was just I love that it was in this. I thought it was neat that they actually used it as a plot point in the film. Like nothing just about could have made me happier. Well, actually, I thought that before I realized that the, the ultimate point of this was jerking off, which I also enjoyed. So. See? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Rub one out for Rustic. <laughs> You know, and I, I just, I love that about this film and all these different rabbit holes. And I, and I didn't even, like, I didn't even chase the Pythagoreans. Like, I was like, I, I, nope, I can't go down that one, too.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I, I thought about it. I was like, oh, tempting. But on, on the Invisibles note, so, uh, I'll do one of my other <laughs> wacky ones there before I get into some of the more serious ones. Because one of the things to do is we see early in this movie is we see Hungry Dave. And I was so excited <laughs> it's about the Hungry Dave bit. I was like, "Oh my gosh, they have a you know squirrel named after Dave." And sure enough, as you know, they mentioned in the Sundance Q and A, you know, Hungry Dave was there outside the window of the Sundance Q and A. Hungry Dave is a real squirrel. I love it. And so I was sitting there thinking, I was like, "I gotta find some way to work Hungry Dave in." Hungry Dave is the key to something. God damn it! His name is—it's Dave's in the name. Dave's the key to a lot of things too. It's like if—if if the key to getting out of the time loops is not you, know, Grant Morrison whack magic. <laughs> It's absolutely something in Smiling Dave's blue fanny pack. It's it's one of those two things.
1: But it's got to be. it
0: got to be. All right. We got a Dave. He's got to be important. Hungry. He's going to be the connection to something. I had to think on this one. From mythology.net. Uh oh. I am so excited. Ratatosk is a squirrel who carries messages along Idrazil, the tree of life. Uh- the most regular subscribers to his messaging service are the wise eagle who sits at the top of Yggdrasil and the hungry dragon, Nidog. Who lies coiled among the tree's roots? Ratatosk relishes the chance to ferry an insult between the two mighty beasts, and by doing so, he's constantly stirring the animosity between them. So, we got a serpent, because we got snake skin, close enough. I don't know if we got eagles, we got birds in the sky. Birds. We got a coyote, close enough to Fenverse for me, motherfuckers.
3: <laughs>
0: something in the dirt. At the base of Yggdrasil. That's the fucking world tree outside their apartment. So that's what's in the dirt, the roots of Yggdrasil. The Yggdrasil, yeah, it's the world well that's beneath Yggdrasil. So. There's some Norse bullshit. <laughs> I was like, I gotta find Hungry Dave. Oh. Ratatosk. I've read way too many Walt Simonson comics. I
4: had to reference it. Anyone who <laughs> hasn't read
0: Ragnarok from IDW, go read it. Walt Simonson's one of my favorite comic creators. Ragnarok's a really fun book. I love it.
1: it. It makes sense if you think about it because, all right, so anytime they're separate, you know, they're usually outside in the courtyard smoking or whatever. And, you know, maybe, maybe Hungry Dave is whispering messages between them in their ears and they don't even realize it. You know, the one guy is clearly the serpent, and the other guy could definitely, you know, he's an eagle. His arms are always out of his tank tops, like wings. You call that? Yep. So, yeah, he's just ferrying <laughs> messages back between them whenever in that courtyard. So, really, I love the it. monster
0: in the closet is Hungry Dave. That's, yeah, hmm, makes a lot of sense. One more goofy bit I'm going to mention real quick. It's circling back to our love of Bone Storm. So, because of this movie, there are now canonically three pairs of Justin and Aaron's in the Shitty Carl Cinematic Universe. We have Levi and John in this movie. There's Justin and Aaron in Resolution and the Endless. But in Bonestorm, they're the rollerblading marine buddies. Yes, yes, they are. So that's six total Justins and Aarons, or three pairs. Now, granted, one of them's dead. But if that's an issue, we just bring Shane over from after midnight. And just have him say, like, Florida's too fucking weird for me. I'm going to the West Coast and just slot him into the Levi position. So you get Shane and John together. How you doing, John? But in addition we also have canonically three daves we have smiling dave we have hungry dave and we have i don't know what the in the cast i believe he's listed as handsome man on the sidewalk or handsome man with a cell phone
1: i have it written down hold on i just have
0: him listed as sidewalk slash tank top dave but the three Daves has got me thinking it was like all right so what if this is like some dark crystal like full metal alchemist shit where all three daves are in fact a shard of a greater Dave.
1: Attractive man on cell phone.
0: Attractive man on cell Timing phone. Timing changes everything. I'm running with the theory now that there is in fact a greater Dave and these are actual... Sp- so for anyone who has a Red Full Metal hey, Alchemist... Dave
1: Kadian? Yeah. The Dave yeah. Kadian?
0: <laughs> so in Full Metal Alchemist... All fucking things to bring up! Is after I had like this 10-minute My Hero Academia thing in late manga, Dave's gonna be like, can you free stop bringing up anime manga bullshit? <laughs> <it harder laughs> but no. The, the villains in Full Metal Alchemist are all named after the seven deadly sins because they are emotional aspects of this, the great big bad of that, that he has cast off and put into these physical forms. I was like, all right, if we're going that route. Smiling Dave must be sloth. Hungry Dave is clearly gluttony. I don't know which one Sidewalk Dave is. I'm going with Wrath for now. <laughs> so clearly there must have been some sundering of the Daves at some point in the past. And now we have all these Dave shards running around who need to be united, which is why. <laughs> What I think this is building to, again, we've got all these multiple Justins and heirs. We've got all these multiple Daves. What is this building to? We've had Infinite Crisis. We've had Final Crisis. We've had Dark Crisis. Next up, Rustic Crisis. That yeah. has to be where this is going. <laughs> there can be only one. Shitty Carl as fucking pariah. I fear I've
4: just seen the end of everything. The end of all hope. God damn
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more bit of comic book bullshit for I would.
1: I would enjoy that. But I, I got to say, now that, now that you got me on the, the squirrel is the messenger thing, all I can see is him at the end, sitting on the table, whispering in his ear, at the very end, fly. And then, you know, wahooey, up into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yahoo! <Yeah-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. laughs> um, well, oh, man. all right, I really want to talk about the plank. So I need to, to talk about the plank. I got to talk about the lenses real quick, if you'll indulge me. Go for it. This goes back to something we talked about in Resolution because I had the, the big thing talking about Resolution about a lot of the metatextual elements of it and how the Arcadian was, in a lot of ways, was essentially us as this viewer and the Arcadian's fascination with mediums. And we talked a lot in that about prisms, you know, the lens through which you view things and in a very literal sense in so much of, you know, Arcadian's constantly leaving media forum in Resolution. Photos, recordings, uh, you know, camera recordings, commandeer stuff, but all things with cam- all things perceived through lenses, which are in, in themselves prisms, which comes back into this film where we have you know the ashtray with its prismatic effect. My shorthand for the ashtray was the Arcadian's contact lens, but <clears throat> that won't hold up, but that was just one of my shorthands for it. But I like it. So throughout them there have been the recurring imagery of lenses and domes and that, that metatextual, you know. It could be a metatextual thing about it's us as the viewer watching the movie, but also just in and of the text as you know, the, the, the time loops we see in the one shot outside of Byron's that there is a distorted element. They they are domes, it's similar to the great Morrison White magic. says, But they're they're spherical. They are a lens. So the the use of lenses was something I've always been so interested in. And it comes up so much in this movie. Now, obviously, it, there's the metatextual thing about with this one. This is also a movie about making movies, you know, the make movies with friends. And this is a movie about, you know, celebrating, just making movies for as dark as the movie gets at a lot of point. There's a lot of, of joyous bits in it. Mm-hmm. I'll mention that real quick. This was a point I was going to say for the end. But in tandem with that, there's a line that Rita Miller has towards the end You know, after they've revealed that Levi's dead. And Rita Miller has the line that says, I think among all the dramatizations and visual effects, I still believe part of it was real. I don't think anyone could say which part at this point but something happened and it struck me it was like if you invert that that is an inverse kind of of this movie but in a positive way Mm -hmm. which yeah we're seeing actors make it but there's reality here the real bond and the real serendipitous relationship and this fascinating group of creative individuals who've all found each other again it sounds like I'm gushy about and why I'm being gushy about rustic stuff and I'm not trying to you know, put everyone on a pedestal but i really think with the rustic group so we mentioned before nick jake and i you know, we all met working at a borders books that's how we became friends and you know, we've been friends ever since so that is a it's a shockingly serendipitous relationship but we are not outliers in that that particular place so many long time friendships and relationships came out of that place nick
1: met his wife there exactly yeah yes there, yes i
0: did so it's when I think of like serendipitous relationships and then looking at, you know, the rustic group, the fact that Justin's last day at the Ridley Scott production company was Aaron's first day, mm-hmm. you know, that, that and that all these creative individuals found each other. There's just this fascinating bit of serendipity to it that when I think on that line, it's kind of a pleasant thing, which is like, yeah, I'm watching this dark movie about two very you know damaged individuals to one degree or another. Who were stuck in a, a dark feedback loop of sorts with each other, but at the same time, I'm watching you know three people who are insanely creative, but also deeply care about each other, and I can see that their actual emotions and their care for each other coming through in the finished product. So I thought that was a fun thing, just that that you can flip that line and it talks about the movie itself in a positive way. But so back to the my lens dome circle bullshit, which is so I can talk about a plank of wood. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so in, in lenses, circles, domes and all and things, but specifically lenses, so much of it in this film, I mean, obviously, big plot element is they shot this movie in mixed mediums. So you have security cameras, cell phone cameras, little disposable cameras, all these. So you have all these mediums and, and you know, the different grain quality of the images and all the different you know, parts of the film. You know, John is, says he's a wedding photographer. Levi's hobby growing up was photography. In the, the final um, Levi montage where he's filming himself, he's filming himself in the rearview mirror of the car. So you have both the camera and a mirror. So it is a double lens effect. There's in the closet, there's the cracked mirror, literally a fractured reflection of a fractured worldview, you know, reflected back at you. Also, there's another shot of the rearview mirror in Levi's car. All this mirror lens dome imagery, there's all the shots here's where I I really went off the deep end. There's all the shots of the electric meters where they have all the shots, Yep, you know, doing the the quick close-ups of, and you hear the hum of electricity and the drone that flows as like this lifeblood through the city of Los Angeles, which in itself is sort of a metaphorical juxtaposition for John's association as the electromagnetism force versus, you know, Levi's gravity. But also I was looking, I was like, Oh my God, the electric meters have domes over them.
3: <laughs>
0: but it was, it was like, oh my God, even that works because they all have, they're domed. And they have these lenses on them. But what it builds to so well is then you get to the climax of this film and all this, what feels to me to be very, you know, pointed lens imagery. And then they literally weaponize it in the climax when Levi and John have their big confrontation where they actually are just, you know, railing on each other. And emotionally unloading and, you know, saying, you know, basically, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you is what and, you know, Levi's sense of self is just completely eroded by, you know, the end of that conversation. But in that they very specifically are like, yeah, turn the camera on. And they're both holding cameras at each other. And we see from the camera POV, there's aspect ratio change from certain angles of it. And I was like, oh, my God, they took this running lens thing and then they actually literalized it for the climax of the movie where they turn the lenses in to weapons where it's it's and and this might be a dated phrase so i apologize if this is a phrase that there's a better way to put it but just for a a film phrase i'm familiar with it's a mexican standoff with cameras Mm
3: -hmm.
0: it's like oh that's so interesting in terms of weaponizing this recurrent lens imagery and then going to the arcadian themselves so the way they shoot the apartment and the the windows of the apartment are so pointed now part of it pulls into. Thank you so much for bearing with me, Nick. <laughs> I can't believe Nick's still going. There's so much of a sense of doom around Levi, mm-hmm. which I'll get into, but but that Thanatos. Even self-proclaimed. Yeah. So it, it, just real quick to run through this real quick, but all these elements that are sort of portents of doom and and that element of the, the gravity element and the association with the sense of this inevitable fate, this inevitable terminus you know, that you're spiraling towards and can't be avoided. You know, there's, you can only fall so fast to which my first note was the Arcadian said, bet <laughs> <laughs> there are the POV falling shots. where We find out are basically recreations of what he thinks his sister. F- also his sister's name is crystal. There's, um, we talked about the bird boxes earlier. You know, there's the empty bird box in, in the one sequence where the two of them are still full, but the one is empty, so it has this coffin. You know, the, I
1: just took it as a commentary in that boring-ass movie, but anyway, moving on.
0: <laughs> bird box. When he talks about the coyotes, he talks about the coyotes looking through him like a ghost. And also coyotes, again, this is me going too far, but coyotes are carrion eaters. It's, yep. So even that... Um, you know the i feel like someone took me out of an airplane when i was a baby i've been at terminal velocity ever since a random one way he's doing all the apple stuff and aaron's has long you know bite the apple with finality which is a joke you know in terms of you know, doing this comical bit of, of this you know very forced what is supposed to be a you know natural reaction and the joke is trying to get a natural reaction of what is purportedly a documentary but the line bite the apple with finality when he talks about moving out he drops the camera Again, so the lens stuff, um, when he finds the skull, again, the skull that the Arcadian ostensibly leads him to, or something, or serendipity does with the the geocache in the directions, and he dives down, finds the skull. He's right.
1: You're not supposed to take geocaches. Very annoying. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, he looks up, too, and then there's the bit, here's the callback to the previous one, I think we forgot to call out earlier, that the birds form a circle in the sky, just like the endless.
2: yep. Yep. Yep, yes, they do. No, there's definitely a point where it becomes less of them going down their own rabbit holes and them being led. It feels it's and, and that that does have an Arcadian feel to it.
0: Yeah, and the the other bit with the Arcadian feel. So what, what I was circling around to is the way the apartment itself is shot, and specifically the the windows. You know, when when Levi first wakes up and we first see him and he's lying prone in the apartment. Hey, what a harbinger of where he ends up you know, as his final fate lying prone, course, in that case, he's in a, it's such a horrific end, but he's in a Yamcha crater. There's the, the meme, oh God, I'm sorry, another anime reference, but there's the internet meme of Yamcha face down in the the crater from Dragon Ball. He's in a Yamcha crater. That's how hard that motherfucker crashed. But so, you know, his, his first shot harkens to that, but there's the first shot of the doorway where, where it cuts to a shot looking past his head to the doorway to the back window. We're going to get to that when we get to the plank. And i literally have tinfoil next to me if you want me to put it on and put it as a hat i've got nope i am
1: enjoying every bit I, of this I you can... keep going
0: yes. i brought it just in case <laughs> you know me and my fucking dumb ass props for this the way that the apartment is shot is so ominously and that it's always shot, like when levi and john are having their first conversation that it's shot from below the way they shoot up, and sometimes people would just look up at the window, which is empty. Again, feels very Lake Mungo. You know, the, the, the sure. spoilers. I won't give what a it is, but like the final shot of Lake Mungo, where we yep. zoom in through a window and you know find something that's hidden there. You know, not necessarily seen in passing. And then there's like the POV shots from when it comes to the reverse shot, and it's it's inside looking down from the apartment's perspective, even though no one is in there. Both Levi, or purportedly no one is in there. Levi and John are both outside, but there's still a POV shot. That is handheld from that perspective again, like this sinister, Arcadian. Like again, like the Arcadians loves fucking with Danubes for whatever reason. That it had such this ominous, omnipresent feel around him that contributed to this sense of Thanatos, this death drive, this sense of that it's just from the beginning of the movie he was he was fucked. This leads me to the plank, which is the plank of wood that comes up that he finds in the closet, which is. Like, literally, covered there's a whole bunch of stuff in the closet, but that plank of wood is absolutely bedecked in scrawling and weird shit. And how is it used? They use it to prop up a window. <laughs> we talked before about windows as lenses, as prisms, which is perspective, which is your could be interpreted as your worldview, is your lens into how you perceive the world. The plank is literally used to prop up a worldview from a medical perspective. <laughs> it's literally propping up bullshit. It's, I don't know what the actual intent was with the plank, but that was, I was like, if that's actually just a literalization of nonsense used to prop up someone's fucked up dogmatic argument, that's fascinating. That's nice. uh, a more grounded one that I loved was, it occurred to me on like the second or third viewing, the shots of the cigarettes, all the shots of them offering cigarettes to each other. And there's the first one, actually, it's during one of the window shots. I mean, there's the opening scene, but later when they're having the chat outside the window and he passes the cigarette to John and Levi lights it and says, don't forget to inhale. But it's a slow motion shot. It's one of the few bits in the movie where it slows down into slow motion, at least in a way that's jarringly distinct. There's when Levi goes diving at the end and finds the skull and whatnot. Some of those shots, I believe they slow the frame rate down. But that feels very evocative of a lot of the stuff of The Endless. Like the scene of Justin when he goes running through the camp, and they slow the yeah. frame rate down for that, so that feels more of like it harkens back to that for a mood thing. But all these shots of the cigarettes, when you know they're, they're passing these cigarettes back and forth, and they do these very tight close ups on the cigarettes. At least my read on that was, what an amazing literalization of their parasitic in a way or toxic relationship. You know, they're passing these cigarettes back and forth. So superficially, it's a gesture of camaraderie and goodwill that is literally toxic. You, you have this unknowing you know, pretext surface of it, but underneath it, it's actually this darker thing. You, they're literally painting with a broad brush in terms of smoking, but it's like they're literally poisoning each other from a point of view as this bonding exercise.
1: Nice. It's also your first big clue that not everything is real because they keep making illusions that he's not a smoker. Does it a couple of times? Like, yeah, you look like a real smoker that time. Well, it's because he started. He just started since his uh, husband left, right? But it it still feels like one of those things where it's it's, it's
0: one of the things if it could be invented, yeah. Um, yeah. While I rub my hands together, anyone else have any other <laughs> wackadoodle rabbit holes they want to go down?
1: No, I, I think I got most of mine out of the way. I you know it's I I'm thinking on your your point about the, the plank holding up the the window and holding up the world and how much sense that makes because you kept waiting for that plank to be the the final clue in something. You know, for them realizing that this is a puzzle piece or something like that. Nope. It's just nonsense to hold up his worldview. And even at the end, when he says, you know, he says, eh, some of my figures were off.
3: Yeah. Yep. Which, Which ones? ones
1: were off?
2: Some of them. John is so full of shit. Like, from yeah. from the word go.
0: The the recurring images that they associate these characters with, you know, we, we talked about Levi's, obviously, is gravity. I'll get into more gravity more here in a second with I promise only I have a couple more, but maybe maybe twenty, thirty more points now. Just a couple more. Mm-hmm. But with Levi, or no sorry, with Levi is the, the gravity bit. With John, there's the electromagnetism element. And you go down that whole, there's so many scenes of him just screwing in light bulbs and the way this thing communicates with him through light and putting the headlamp on and the and the way the phenomena communicates with him. You know, if you really want to stretch it, it's synonymous with evangelicals thinking of themselves as light bringers. You know, the fact that John does think of himself as a savior esque figure, he thinks, oh, shit, you know, I I should be so much more than what I am. And this is my prop that I can make something that's actually going to change the fucking world and elevate me into higher status. There's also just like the magnetic portion of electromagnetism, just in drilling down on the magnetic bit in terms of egocentrism that some of his bits some of his bits are, are active gaslighting and active malice and active manipulation yep but a lot of it too is just i think is simple simple egocentrism where it's it's just this egocentric natural way that even without thinking it's pulling people into his orbit and trying to wrench people into his worldview or into his own perspectives and then like i said i think a significant portion of that in the film is calculated but i think a portion of it is not you could argue going on the magnetism route
1: I'm acting weird because you compared my sexual identity to your apocalypse church and that kind of shit. Yep. It's
0: funny. So there's all the bits with Ode to Joy in this. Obviously, you know, the recurring bits with Ode to Joy. And that was
1: going to be our community connection. Oh, Ode to Joy? And I was like, ah, I can't do the song again. <laughs> Although I still find it funny.
0: So brace for it Here is <laughs> another anime one coming in. This is brief. But Ode to Joy has obviously been in a shitload of things. But my big association with Ode to Joy... Is they play it in episode 24 of Neon Genesis Evangelion, where there's the big climactic fight between Shinji and Kauru when Karu activates Unit 2 and tries to go down to confront Lilith. Where does the fight take place? Terminal Dogma. And what, nice. what an accurate, wow. uh, and I just got hung up on that phrase. I was like, what an accurate bit for the John character or, or the overall thematic thing, the phrase, because I was hung up on the phrase dogma before, but just from the endless, but this one, Terminal Dogma. Of this, you know, the notion of you you accepting something and manufacturing your own worldview from very selected facts, taking it as gospel, and it inevitably leading into, you know, spiraling into self destruction and, and annihilation. So it's just like oh, terminal dogma. <laughs> That's surprisingly apt. But what a great bit with the ode to joy thing with the the end credits with them playing it, this choir, you know, playing it on a theremin, which is used yeah. using the nesting dolls. And I heard them talk about it in a QA. That was so fucking weird. They found it, it just by accident after, like they'd already, I think they'd already shot everything for the film and they were just trying to find, going through a bunch of different versions of Ode to Joy. You know, which one do we want to use for any credits? They found one. Holy shit, it's a fucking orchestra. And I, oh, I wrote their name down. I believe the orchestra is called Das, I believe is the name of the orchestra. It's a Japanese a group. Let me see here. Yeah. Uh, yep. Japanese. And apparently it's a um, Matroyaman or Matroyaman ensemble named Da. Uh, Matroyaman, I'll go with that, is basically, yeah, probably because it's derived from theremin. A Matroyaman is basically a theremin housed within a Russian nesting doll or Matroyska doll. Yeah, what? Are, they were like, Holy shit, we found this in fucking, like, two pop points of this film that are fucking used in this final sequence. Holy shit. So, again, just odd bits of serendipity like what are the fucking odds one last bit one of the things Jake that you had mentioned when we were talking about doing this where you were like you know conversation topic what is in the dirt you know something in the dirt and the friends we made along the way I already answered this one right up front (laughs) fucking
1: apocalypse cult fascists man that's what's in the dirt Levi's teeth after he hit the ground (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) that third bird uh.
0: one of the things i got was like i was again because the movie does that because once you start pulling on one thing you get you thinking about others like i just talk for five minutes about a plank <laughs> and it's a bunch of random bullshit that i'm sure is way off the fucking mark it's an important point i was thinking about that fucking plank but was thinking about all right so something in the dirt you know what, what are the you know the phrases of it aside from you know, it's like all right yeah you know, we got primordial element it's base elements from which life spring we've got there's dirt scattered on the floor after the third earthquake and, the, and you know the plant breaks and all this stuff but one of the things i got hung up on too was an evangelical reading of it which was from genesis dust thou art and unto dust thou shall return which is that particular phrase about you know we, adam and eve were literally well adam was rolled from dust formed together from the dirt and again, I don't think this is this is what the actual intent was, but I just got hung up on this as a random thing because of the phrase, dust thou art and dust thou shalt return. How perfect of a phrase for this film, because that is both the Thanatos element of Levi, that sense of unavoidable doom, the fact that you will return to the dust, and it's emblematic of... John's fucking apocalyptic cult, you know, church bullshit. I was like, you know that actually kind of works and it covers both of them. But yeah, the, the, the man, how heavy do I want to get? Heavy. <laughs> Go for it. No, nah, all right. So, it's late. Drop a hammer. <laughs> so this is just projecting, but this is is one of the things that that I was hung up on because I I really got hung up on a lot of the stuff with the Levi character and the character's obvious elements of depression. And so clarity warning, I'm probably going to, to talk about my own depression a little bit. It's, it's probably not going to get that dark. But if that is an issue, skip ahead a bit. But I, I was so fascinated with you know, Levi's sense of gravity. And in, in talking about there's always been this invisible force pulling me you know, back that I've always been you know, kept from doing what I wanted to do. I feel like, And again, we talked about all these, I guess they call it an anime death flags, that there's like 50 death flags for Levi from one degree or another in this film. When I talk to my shrink about my depression and like when I'm in a very deep and cause I've talked about it, that I battled you know depression and anxiety on the pod before. Go listen to her. She dies tomorrow episode, where it's incredibly <laughs> a timely. Another rustic film where it plays in. But the phrase I keep coming back to with my doc is the one I've used more than anything else is it feels like I'm fighting gravity. And I really hung up on that concept of just dirt as because it's also something we use in talking about the elements of ourselves that we're dissatisfied with we refer to ourselves as dirt we refer to ourselves as being soiled you know I mean there's a very little element to something in the dirt in this film the fact that they literally unearth multiple items in this film you know when they get to the house and they unearth the redacted document and all this this path of unearthing you know knowledge and whatever but I really with the, the Levi character I wondered how much of it was hung up in the idea that if if depression is gravity, then dirt becomes synonymous with terminus, the end point, because I will literally be buried in it is when I, when it's so this one, is isn't too dark, but it's when I go into, and this goes into the whole broader crux of, of the film and talking about people's, the search for meaning and them searching for the answers for various things and how it becomes wielded. When I fall into severe depressive episodes, like when I really, really fall into a bad depressive episode, like I said, skip ahead if this is at all triggering for anyone listening. Inevitably, it gets to a point where you're wrangling with all these questions about, you know, why do I feel this way? What's wrong with me? Why do I feel this? Why do I, you know, why, 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 why? And it's just this torrent of questions. There's always a brief moment where you land on the notion, oh. It's because I'm a mistake. You know, everyone would be better off without me. I'm not going down a big self-harm route. I'm just talking broadly. broadly. Everything I, I touch is awful. Everything I do is awful. It's me. I am the root cause of everything. Now, obviously, there are intense, depressive ramifications that come with that. But there is a fraction of a second before the implications of everything I've just thought hits me. It comes crashing like a tidal wave. For a fraction of a second, I have a moment of euphoria that is unlike anything else I have ever experienced in my life. For a fraction of a second, because I have an answer. It makes sense. Now, then, the tidal wave comes crashing over me because, you know, if I'm the root cause of everything awful and I'm, you know, a worthless human being, everything I touch is poison, everything I've ever been involved with, it is I am a walking mistake. Obviously, that has negative implications and that then you know starts the really depressive rut, but when you are played unconsciously and you are fighting your own brain and wrangling with questions and depression, this was partly on my head i was, I had a brief depressive episode. um, we had a horror weekend recently and and I had a depressive episode during that where a lot of this stuff got kicked up. And the image that I used to compare it to my shrink talking about it after the fact is, It's like all my depression is basically is like a a jug that goes into a water cooler. And everything is trying to pinprick it from underneath. And what's in the cooler is basically everything bad I've ever done, everything terrible, every bad thought I've ever had about myself. And everything keeps trying to prick it. But and and it could be the most innocuous, random thing. But when something actually pricks the plug at the bottom of that, then it's you're fighting gravity. You know, you're sticking a finger in a dam. And it feels like once once the torrent starts, it's so difficult to fight. But again, there's a fraction of a moment where you think you have an answer, and it, it, it. I can only compare it to what people must have when they have like religious, you know, awakenings and they're born again or whatever. Like, with holy shit, everything makes sense. The bit where everything clears and I have a singular answer to everything that I've been wrangling with, thoughts I've been you know just wrestling with constantly for years and years and years and years and years. And years. So I I so identified with that with the Levi character of. And the Levi character obviously has several issues, but one is you see so early that need for bonding, you know, the need for a social interaction. Going back to the cigarette thing, I thought it was funny that the way Levi becomes aware that John is outside is he coughs. Again, going into the cigarette thing, it's <clears throat> that that's even the, the, the signal for it. So again, I, I realized that was all really depressing, but it was... That was something I zeroed in on in terms of how I identify with the notion of of trying to search for an answer and how it can, even in a horrific way, that the moment where you think you have everything, where all the pieces of the puzzle fall into place for a fraction of a second, even before you realize oh, that's a fucking terrifying-ass puzzle, I wish I'd never put that together. But the moment where that final piece clicks into place, it really is... So I really, really honed in on a possible parallel with dirt as, you know, depression, self-loathing, you know, all these various emotional issues. Again, I don't want to armchair psychoanalyze, so how much of that is just me projecting, I can't say. But between the, the gravity element that is tied so much to Levi, I, I thought it was somewhat worth mentioning.
1: I, look, I agree. I, I think that's a pretty good interpretation of it. That may be projection. I don't know. It, but I think, you know, with art and films, projecting things onto it is, is kind of how we interpret that stuff. So it's... Yeah. And again... Whether it, that was their intent or not makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: Just going back, I was, I'm not like, this is what something in the dirt is, you know? I'm right. Like, I, I am not interested, generally speaking, in, in you know, the definitive... Well, this is what the well, It's about. a better
1: I'm answer like, than cat shit. <laughs> <laughs> but not
0: whack magic. Not Grant Morrison whack magic.
1: Yeah. Well... <laughs> No,
0: but you know. <laughs> there's a brief moment of euphoria when the universe blinks. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about brief
1: moments of euphoria, baby.
0: But but a way I, I identified with it, and a read, I don't think... I think there's at least some semblance of credence to it, in terms of some semblance of foundation in which you can make that case. Because Justin Benson's performance as Levi, and like you said, just the, the hurt that falls across his face in, in certain sequences... Something as simple as the bit where the something in the dirt line comes up, where he's been led to think at this point, you know, oh yeah, your title's great. We're going to go with the door that w- wouldn't shut. where John tells him that earlier, and then John you know says, "Oh, I was thinking, something in the dirt, realizing you know that the bit earlier was complete gaslighting, it was completely you know saying that to to build you up a bit. I didn't actually think your title was was good for a fucking second. Just that fraction of a second where you see this, his face fall for just a second and that sense of sadness and that the way he's able to communicate pain, it was incredibly resonant for me. And one of the ways in what I was about to say is why this movie is my favorite. It, says, it made me sad as fuck. I love it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in terms of how much emotional ground they're able to ring so much from a movie that is, just, you know, 95% of the footage is, you know, like cutaways and nonsensical theories. But, and then woven in that, the fact that they weave in a character arc and character beats that to me, I think we've said before, that the strongest element of their films is is their, their character work. Far and away. Similar to we talk about, Mike Flanagan earlier, similar thing is their humanity. Jake, you talked about the fact we talked about you know, people speaking in rooms and how just human connections, that, you know, if you're good at that, it's so often you know, far and away the, the best aspect of the film. But the fact that they were able to get so much of that out of this kind of impromptu COVID film that was put together on, like I mentioned, on right, we, we got to make the, the most out of a little, you know, I always think back in terms of DIY filmmaking, my go to is we mentioned back in our Lord of Illusions episode, the Midnight Meat Train movie, which is directed by Ryuhei Katamara. I saw him speak at Otakon once, and Ryuhei Katamara was talking about this first movie he made, which is a movie called Heat After Dark. And he was talking about, it was an action movie, and he said, well, the way I made the movie was I sat up and said, I'm going to make a movie tomorrow. What do I have? What do I have? I got a knife. Okay. Puts a knife down. All right, that's going to be in the film. I got a knife. And then I pulled the vacuum tube off of my vacuum cleaner, you know, the little extension so you can, like, go in between the cushions and shit. And he goes, I held that vacuum tube up, and I looked at it and I said, oh, this is a bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> and it's alright. So that's my go-to for DIY is always this is a bazooka looking at this plastic vacuum tube. But that whole DIY element that they they wove something so personal and and that was so affecting through a film that led me to talk about a goddamn squirrel being part of Northern <laughs> mythology <laughs> and Grant Morrison encouraging thousands of comic book readers to jack it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so the fact that all that got it, yeah. As I, I really love this film. I love all their films, but yeah, this one was my favorite. And yeah, this is a film I watched this movie a lot, prepping for this episode. You can probably tell, but I could keep going. Like this is for me far and away. I don't say far and away because I love the shit out of all them, but this is to me their best film.
2: I definitely got a lot of out of it through multiple viewings. Um, it grew on me, and it's definitely, if nothing else, incredibly well
1: done. And yeah, the acting alone hmm, hits the mark perfect. I Look, they made a horror movie about having uncomfortable friendships. I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you, know. you know, I'm hesitant to say, is it their best film? Because they're all their best film to some degree for me. This is the one I watched most recently, so it's my favorite. But I think it's brilliant. I think it might be. It's certainly their most nuanced and creative is the wrong word. It's not. The word I'm looking for here, but it's their most something from nothing kind of film where they're Mm. they're really you know they've had budget you know more budget with Synchronic and this and that, but this is the one where they really show all of their chops. You know, this is like a prize fight of a film between two great fighters. They're just you know their acting, like you mentioned, has gotten so much better. You know, all of their their skills and stuff that they have in their other films feel so honed and perfected in this yeah you know even even the editing is astounding in this. you know like it, it just the, the way it's
0: paced and and listen to them like I said there's so much footage we know that or it sounds like that was cut but they talk in these Q&A's about the editing process and even that is and maybe we'll hear more about it later but in terms of like the way they had to pass footage back and forth there, there's three credited editors on this you know Justin Benson Aaron Moorhead and Michael Felker are all credited as editors because they were basically like swapping footage around because and they were editing like in between you know, Justin and Aaron heading off for Marvel gigs, and so much being done. Again, this was in the early days of the pandemic, so you know so much being done amidst all the COVID stuff. Yeah, there's, I'm so fascinated by like what the assembly process of the film was, getting everything put together, how the script came together. That's one of the biggest bummers of this. Was like I said is one of the delights of this podcast for me is when we do a Justin Benson script is because I love his scripts, reading his scripts. Because they always have these great little asides in you know the descriptions and stuff. There's no script for this one out or at least not that's circulating at the moment. I didn't get to read the script. So Don't. But I would be fascinated at some point to find out you know how that all came together. You know, just the whole process. I mean all their movies, but this one in particular. Well, it's just funny to,
1: to look at like budget and production value, I it's not really the right word, but like the the way they look. So you go from resolution You know, which they made for, you know, fifty bucks spring and then the endless. And like it keeps like their movies keep getting sort of bigger and fancier and you get synchronic, which biggest and fanciest, and then they start doing Marvel stuff and you know, huge production values. And then you see this. And it's so much closer to their first film in terms of budget and stylistically.
0: Literally too. We talked before about it it's a Daniels Danube pairing. It's literally the names of the characters. Like and I
1: just I just can't get over how like it's obviously it's not a remake, but it's like, OK, we've been working on our skills here. So now we're going to just go purely on talent. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can do purely on, on what we know now versus what we knew then and what we can come up with. And they came up with this, which is like, I, I mean, it, it's it's such a home run, you know, and it's such evidence of where they are as a group. Just everybody involved in this, yeah, you know, are so operating it's just a whole other fucking level. You know, it's just it's just such an impressive film, you know, for the, the constriction, you know, the constraints it was made under. And, you know, you look, you know, just on the surface, you look at Synchronic and it looks so glossy compared to this. And it's but it's just, you know, they just keep getting better with everything they do. Yep. And, you know, they never had the difficult second album. They just kept making, you know, hit after hit after hit. No skips, all bangers with this yeah. group.
0: She probably mentioned, since we were talking about being a big nuts of all things Rustic, she probably mentioned for completest things. It was like, I, holy shit, we forgot Archive 81. They also did two episodes of Archive 81. That's also fun. We're going to cover it at some point on this pod for that exact reason. They worked on it. We're going to do it. Yeah. But just don't know when. It's not getting a second season, so we can't do it to coincide with that. But yeah.
1: So I, I mean, you know, I could talk about this movie for hours and we have, but I just find it a brilliant piece of art.
0: And Nick is still awake
1: barely barely
0: (laughs) 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 all right well maybe we'll snap you awake a bit by bringing on a special guest yay Yay! hey everyone post-production eric here just want to mention real quick that we had some technical issues with the interview portion of the episode and we had to record it on a different platform which really doesn't like the microphones that jake or i use it cuts off the beginning of my sentences jake sounds a bit like he's on a rotary phone And there's some various clicks and audio hiccups throughout. It's not too bad. Dave sounds great, which is the important thing. So for now, just pretend that we're doing the whole mixed medium thing like the movie that we're talking about today. He's back. He's the man behind the couch and he's out of control. Christened by fest interviewer as the face of love and affection. We are so delighted to welcome back to the podcast producer extraordinaire Dave Lawson Jr. Yay! Yay. Welcome Uh, back.
4: Thanks for having me back. I, I swear the next movie has no couches in it. I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I, that, I'm is not that in tu- your next contract? I'm not touching couches anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a fair rider. That's, that's
4: <laughs> I feel like I've done my, my share of heavy lifting on couches, no pun intended. Actually, <laughs> that's a lot. No furniture clause. <laughs> that was all pun intended on that one. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. Like I said, it's a little chilly here in Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know what's going on here. I don't like it. I wish the warmth would come back. But other than that, doing
1: great. How's, it, how's the the movie going so far? It seems like all the, the critic reviews are, are pretty
4: positive from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. We. I mean, you know, it's funny when you when you make a movie like this. We, I think we talked like right after I did this movie or thereabouts. while we were some I, I don't know. The whole two years of the pandemic is a bit of a blur okay. to me. But it, it's been really wild to see this thing that was made so intimately now be kind of uh, shown every, <laughs> everywhere and have, mm. you know, Mike Flanagan uh, was nice enough to host a Q&A for us last week. Mm-hmm. And David nice. Bruckner did one as well. And LP from Run the Jewels did one in Brooklyn with us. Like, yep. it's, it's just really honestly, it's weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that people are, are watching the movie and digging it and understanding it on. On such a cool level. I really enjoyed listening to your episode that you all recorded to kind of see. It's like, oh, wow, like the stuff that we talked It's always nice when the stuff that we talk about kind of translates in a way where we're like, oh, yeah, we get it. But we get it because we're all in the room and we're talking about it. Like, it's nice to see that it translates. No, we just appreciate you sinking three hours if you life into listening to that. Uh, it is a glorious three hours uh, listening to people. Gush. I mean, this, this is this is the rustic office. It's it's like I can touch almost all the walls in here. Uh, it, 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 making movies similar to making podcasts is is a very isolating experience where it's mostly just you alone in a room. So it's nice to know that people think what you're doing because it kind of gives you a little bit of like, oh,
0: I should keep doing it. Yeah. And you've got behind you. I didn't have it. I meant to bring it up during my long rambling nonsense about lenses and eyes and stuff. But you have the new something in the dirt poster behind you. I just absolutely
4: fantastic with the eye design. So I just hung that up two days ago. We just got the hard copies. Uh, Like literally, I, I still have I still have the box of posters that I have to give to everybody else. I only took mine out. It's an awesome design. It, I really, really love it. One, the the it, poster before that was terrific too, but this eye one is super it, different. It, it took us a long time to land on this, and was a real collaborative effort. Uh, James over at XYZ, Dylan over at Variants, worked with us. We went through a couple different artists before we landed. We're like, okay, cool, this is it. And, and even once we landed on this general kind of idea, it took a long time to get it there. But they were they're awesome and understand that like when we push a little bit further we end up with artwork that everybody really seems to kind of gravitate towards and you know on an indie film like this it's it helps because it stands out it's like oh wow that's something yeah it I definitely think, pops
0: yeah, before we saw bone storm i think even before that i might have mentioned this back in episode 8 but how i first discovered
4: or spring first fell on my radar was I saw the posters. Oh, that looks nifty. It's <laughs> a hell of an poster. interesting
0: use of colors. <laughs>
4: yeah. I mean, and that's, that's kind of, we've always said that like, you know, marketing materials, especially when you're doing stuff in like the indie sphere, there's so much coming out. It's like, how do you kind of cut through that noise? And it's like when people are scrolling through Instagram or Twitter, if it's still around by the time this episode airs, <laughs> <God> <laughs> knows, people are, you know, going through their MySpace. You know, it's like you, it's, yeah. it's in your top eight, uh, you know, that's how you're going to stand out. That's going to be, you know, I, I don't like the expression like, don't judge a book by its cover. It's like, why? What else are you supposed <laughs> to judge it on? <laughs> like,
1: you're
4: supposed it to com- read
1: it? it, it comes up a lot for us because you know, we do old 80s horror movies, and the first memory everybody has is the VHS box, those yes, things v- mattered. <laughs>
4: well, yeah, I, I mean, I it's, I, I, don't, I don't remember if I was talking to you all about it, but I was like, I remember very specifically walking as a child down the cinema, like going into multiplexes and it was like just lined with posters. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to see that one. And you would like make mental notes be like, okay, that's coming yeah. out in August. That looks really cool. It's like, that's how you, that's the point of marketing materials, you know, whether they're, whether they're truthful or
2: not. Or Oh my God. Either. I was, just, <laughs> I was just thinking about that because you know there's always this movie I always wanted to see called Chopping Mall because of the front cover art like this <laughs> <Yeah. metallic laughs> fist holding you know, a shopping bag with like entrails coming out but you know you look at the back and it's like, like Roby the robot kind of oh, on the tracks it's like what the hell is this <laughs> right
1: I, I think about that a lot with the movie the Mike Flanagan movie I mentioned him, yes. later, Absentia yeah because oh, the, the art the for DVD that box is art. the DVD box is, it's like a woman being dragged and it's the most like mid '90s, yep. you know, low budget VHS release, and then you watch that movie and be like, "Wait, these two things don't match at all." Was that,
4: a, was that a Phase Four release? I bet if you look it up, it was a Phase Four release.
0: Oh gosh, I can't remember.
4: If somebody looks it up, I'd be willing. To, I'd be willing to put money on it. Their cover art was fairly similar. <laughs> uh, no, I need to find an official entry for it. Well, they get surprised. The Studio, <laughs> <laughs> ah, Nicely done. We we care a lot about our posters. Uh, it means that we've looked. At, <laughs> it, it means we've looked at a lot of posters. I can, you know, it, that's. It's also like, I want to
0: see Phase Four distribute something in the dirt, just so we can see what they come up with. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just,
4: it's John dragging Levi. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's I it, we, we talk about it, like when you go to the Rustic site now, like because we just put this poster up and it's like the other poster is great. We love it. Absolutely adore it. It's by Brandon Schaefer, one of our longtime collaborators. But like this one fits so nicely. It's like, you know, when you're, you're a company, you have an aesthetic where it's like, oh, OK, cool. Like, I hope that people see this and be like, oh, that reminds me of Synchronic or that reminds me of The Endless or like that feels like she dies tomorrow. It's like it feels in our world which is was very intentional
1: Well, you mentioned it was a collaborative effort to put together the art and i guess that's kind of becoming sort of your signature for how you do the movies as well i say that because you're wearing your your movies with friends hoodie
4: (laughs) yeah available i mean (laughs) (laughs) i uh, I, I mean that's the thing we don't really know how to do it any other way i mean there's other ways to do it sure I guess we know how to do it the other way we don't find enjoyment doing it any other way like that that's the reason Respect. that we do it that's the fun of it like I could make more money doing something else I just but why but why my quality of life wouldn't be <laughs> as good you know I love getting together with a group of people we're, we're putting together another film that we shoot uh early next year right now and it's a lot of our longtime collaborators and it's really fun like we're getting to start you know getting into those meetings we had our first kind of team meeting on thursday it's not one that justin and Aaron are directing but it's one that they're producing alongside me so it's like it's really fun that we get to get all these people back together and play in the sandbox again nice oh that's exciting that starts in early next year early next year yeah awesome you'll hear our name a lot next year it's it's already a daunting like i'm i'm looking at next year and i just don't understand how we're gonna get it all done but we will (laughs) just at what cost
1: pre-eminate rustic fanboys at this point. We can't wait.
4: Yeah, I was gonna say spoiler alert, the cost is my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> well you know small price to pay and all. But what I are mean, we really just- using it? I mean that's that's the thing. Honestly it's a great deal because there's not much of it left. So like, <laughs> 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 we could turn some good movies out of it. I guess when you weigh the cost benefit
0: analysis on it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: super cheap it's super cheap
0: <laughs> great deal great deal
4: it's oh,
1: probably easier
0: without it to be honest
4: i mean it's that's certainly going to be more fun
0: related to that so this is an app at- movie to talk about that topic with just so to start off with the movie and we might have touched on this a little since when we first started talking to you it was i guess it was kind of early in the or during the process of making this film but so how did everyone initially arrive at in the early days of the pandemic reached the point of, all right, let's just use this time to make a movie. And like, what was the inception process like for that?
4: We had, we, I mean, we had two projects that were greenlit that were a go for, you know, probably quarter two, quarter three of 2020. It, one was a Justin and Aaron project. The other was another director that we were working with and they both fell apart, obviously, because the pandemic just shut everything down. And we Justin and Aaron's one we kept working on, it and we're like it was a bigger one kind of in the synchronic range. And we kept kind of like being like, okay cool, let's just let's have this all prepped. I mean, we were looking at shooting this everywhere. We're, we were like tracking trends. We're like, okay cool. what is what does it look like if we shoot in Italy? What does it look like if we shoot in Norway or Finland? or like where's gonna come out first and be like safe to shoot? Uh, a bit of naivety in hindsight. And then I think sometime around July, every other day we would get on zoom and have kind of a business meeting uh, with the three of us. I think sometime around July, we kind of had the realization that, that this wasn't going anywhere for a minute and that specifically film was going to kind of be different for the foreseeable future in order to do it safely. And one of the things about the way we do movies is, you know, they're not huge. they, They make good money. It's a good business model. However, they're not like one that where it's like, Oh yeah, the profit margins are gigantic. And it's like, when you start cutting into the cost of what it costs to be compliant with COVID safety, it was just becoming untenable to make the kind of movies that we want to make. Mm. So then we thought we're like, well, how small could we do it? Like, what is the absolute smallest where we can control everything? You know, we can control who's on set. And then uh, there was a hot second where Justin and Aaron were like, what if we were the only two on set? And I was like, that sounds awful. Um, and they shot a- <laughs> well just because there's just too much to do uh they shot a whole day i think it was a whole scene as like a test and it worked uh it worked for a day it wouldn't have worked for the course of 20 um too much work yeah it just it's just too much you wouldn't be able to the, the stamina required for that would would have made I mean, it who lifts the couch in that situation <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean it's it's funny but it's, it's kind of true any of the two shots would have been completely static as opposed to having any kind yeah. of movement and then so we're like okay cool so it's the three of us on set our art department was was always working sometimes they were like in the window below us where like if you look outside you can see them kind of working sometimes they were off kind of scouring for the next day's worth of props and then obviously Felker was that poor guy. Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: well, I mean, we're—it's uh, you all understand the pain that is editing, and it's you're just dealing with one format. Imagine if you had seven formats, and mm-hmm. there's only three people running those formats. And sometimes, sometimes the producer just forgets to cut the audio, so you have 30 minutes of audio just after a take. Oh. Um, no. <laughs> Sometimes he forgets to start audio, um, which also, <laughs> which also, and so, you know, just putting that together from, uh, from just like a getting it to a point where he could play with it was, was mm-hmm. a task in itself. But yeah, so that was, that was kind of it in July. We were like, okay, cool. Well let's start putting something together. Justin and Aaron came up with the idea and then Justin penned the script. And then they, you, we did our normal process where the two of them got together and kind of did a whole bunch of rehearsal and that kind of, informed the script a little bit more and then uh October of 2020 we we hunkered down all of our including our art department all of our households all quarantined so all, none of us were had contact with anybody on the outside um mm-hmm. it was really easy for myself and my wife cuz my wife was 8 months pregnant and doing telehealth so she wasn't going anywhere anyway she had been quarantining that whole time and you know nothing was open in Los Angeles so it made it it made it a little easier to quarantine and then we were still obviously testing every week so did that answer the yeah, question i, I can't oh, even remember oh, yeah. the question <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no, yeah absolutely it was yeah it was just about how things got rolling that was that actually you ended on something i wanted to inquire about which was even though it was just a three person crew you still i think you said you had to get like covid
4: certified like what was that like just during like at the height of the pandemic it, it's funny. i actually i got so it's called a COVID compliance officer is the position on set. I actually mm. got certified, not for this film, but just in case someone needed it. Um, mm. But then also I, I saw a benefit to me having that skill set on how I know we operate. Sometimes it's smaller. It's like, oh, if I have that skill set, it's just like, if it makes sense, You know, normally it's its own position. But if there's only three of you, you can have multiple positions if there's only three of you to keep track of. But no, I did it originally just to have the knowledge. Plus, it was, I mean, I don't know. It was the middle of the pandemic. There was nothing going on. It's an online class for two days. (laughs) Oh, easy enough. (laughs) I I was like, yeah, I'll learn how to do this. You know, and then you have to take a test and all that good stuff.
2: I was just going to ask. So, you know, usually, you know, you have these big, huge projects and endeavors and 20 days of hard work and you're all just going to town and doing what you can. And in my head, you know, after a hard day's work, all of you just head off to the old rustic inn and have some drinks and relax and like, you know, just... Let the day kind of off, so you're ready for the next day. But like in a pandemic situation, how did you guys unwind and like actually recoup and re-energize between you know activities?
4: Uh, I will say part of what you said is false. Uh, At the end of most, (laughs) at the end of most days, I go home and pass out. Like that's how I was. was Like I mean, you're on set for you know we don't go more than twelve hours. But even you know driving to set, you're on set for twelve hours. You're actually on set for thirteen because of lunch driving home it's like by that point it's like time to go take a shower go home go to bed wake up the whole day right it's the whole day this one was really nice though because when we wrapped you know we were in justin's apartment it was hilarious so sometimes his kitchen but all the time his living room was a hot set so we would have to like kind of reset it for the next day we shot most of the film chronologically by location so every location pretty much was shot chronologically but we like shot all of Justin's stuff and all of the stuff in Aaron's apartment and then all the stuff in and around Los Angeles. So it was all hot set. So we couldn't change any of it. Justin's bedroom was kind of the only thing you don't see, except for the one time at the end of the movie when Aaron's floating. So that's where all the gear was and Justin had like a hoarder path to his bed. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But I mean, it's no hyperbole. It was literally like a path wide enough for his body. Because all of his living room furniture and all the gear were in his bedroom. Right. But at the end of the day, we would like wrap everything and then we would get to the point and then we would just crack open a beer and then we would sit down and hang out for like 10 or 15 minutes and unwind a little bit. And then I would go drop the footage off to Felker at our like weird little, I don't know, I felt like a spy. We had like a Dropbox location where like I I would like come up to his house and like slide it into this secret door. But yeah, so was, we would just crack a bit of a beer. I mean, we needed a lot of beer bottles in the in the movie. So we just they were all practically emptied.
1: <laughs> nice. So with this film, like in previous films, a lot of the, the dialogue sort of looks improvised, but we know that it's very rigorously worked out in detail. Is it similar to this or did you do any more improvisation
4: on this one? No, I mean, there was a lot of rehearsal that went into it. So that's part of Justin and Aaron's process in general is that it It feels so natural because it's just, you know, been rehearsed and all of kind of uh, their magic is found there in almost all of our films. It was nice because it was just the three of us. So if we kind of like found a, a thread to kind of tug and play around with to see if it worked or, you know, to try different things, uh, we had that opportunity, but it wasn't something where we went A ton of takes in. It was like you know, every once in a while, be like, "Hey, what if we tried it this way?" Or you know, like, "Hey, just for safety, let's have one where you're not so mean." Uh, But most, (laughs) but most of it was filmed exactly as it was written and as exactly as it was intended. Like I said, I did (laughs) it. It's both a testament to Justin, and I'm sure it infuriates him, even though he'll never admit it. That everyone thinks that his that his stuff is improv because it's because it does feel like you're just kind of dropping in on a conversation specifically this one that like i don't know i've heard that conversation at a bar which is like (laughs) (laughs) you know like just sitting at the end of a bar you're like oh man what are these two chuckleheads talking about
1: (laughs) well so i i also have to ask did you guys
4: actually get into geocaching during this or i did not but felker our editor does geocache now and i don't know. I don't know if it's because of this movie or <laughs> beforehand. I don't because, like, I don't know. I just, I, it Walking feels, through the it woods feels,
1: looking for a little plastic trash doesn't appeal to you? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> See, <laughs> I,
4: I feel like there are two types of people. Uh, there are journey people and there are destination people. Uh, geocaching feels like a journey thing. I'm more of a destination guy. <laughs> That seems fair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be accurate. Yeah. We we have spent a lot of time in the woods doing that. Not so much recently, but when we got into it, we were pretty heavy. So I, I really when it popped up in this movie, like I said on, on the podcast, it was
4: just like that's just great. Like that just made me so happy. It's I don't know what this says about us, but the number of people that have said, like, oh, you made this movie exactly for me. <laughs> I I'm just <laughs> like, oh well. <laughs> You're I welcome. guess <laughs> I, think, I think it's the fact that we threw so much shit in there. That there's something yep. for everybody in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I loved it all other than the math, but everything else was
4: great. Oh man, the math is my favorite part. Math is
1: like,
3: the best. <laughs> <laughs>
4: At one point, I was like way into it. I actually figured out what the terminal velocity of a human is. I can't remember it off the top of my head now, like but like I was like, <laughs> <or something>. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like something. It was something. It was like I think it's seventy-two stories is how far high you would have to be to hit terminal velocity before you hit the ground. I like did all the math just for fun. Wow. It wasn't even any. Wasn't <laughs> even, I there couldn't be so- wrong on that. It was like two years ago.
2: There was some daredevil who was like, you know, I'm going to break the record for terminal velocity. And like he got up on this like jet he could jump off of and he had this like cone shaped helmet. So he would like minimize his air resistance. And (laughs) I
1: think he got like 143 (laughs) miles per hour or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just falling like, whoo. (laughs) That's not a record I think I'd be inclined to try and break. It's okay to break. Like, that's a real zero-sum kind of ball game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. As long as you don't break the record for fastest hitting the earth. Yeah. I think
0: yeah. that's <laughs> largest <impact>. crater created.
2: <laughs> yeah. He made a mark. All right.
0: <laughs> well, so you were so intricately involved as part of, you know, one-third of a three-man crew for the filming of the movie itself. And then you also were very heavily involved in the the whole second unit part when justin and aaron had gone away to work on marvel stuff it was
4: you and ariel Vida, right on second unit yeah we we brought in evans mopolis who who i think has known aaron since he was a child it's another part of that like tampa florida crowd that just
0: is insanely (laughs)
4: talented and all live out here um he was a dp uh ariel Ariel stepped up from production designing to directing, which is something that she does naturally. So it made sense for that because there was going to be some some directing that needed to happen. And then I just kind of stayed in my same position of, of producing and ADing, But it was it was a lot of shots. Um, yeah, it was 295. Uh, that is an yep. accurate number I know because I still have the spreadsheet. And it was <laughs> well, it was, you know, when they say 295, that's not the total number of shots. That's the total number of what would be considered b-roll some of them are sourced and some of them are created i think the actual number of like created shots is something like 190 something still maybe yeah it was it was a lot to shoot and we shot that over the course of four days uh it was a lot of block shooting i mean a lot of it's like oh film this uh document or we had a whole string out of all of the public domain stuff and we're like, let's just film all of this public domain stuff on a TV because we wanted it all to feel like it all lived in the same world. But yeah, it was it was an intense process for sure. No, we you you did amazing work on it as did Ariel. Uh when we
0: recorded our review of the movie, V Noir had just come out. So now that it's actually out I've had a chance to watch it. And anyone who hasn't checked it out yet, please go see it. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I
4: can't wait for what Ariel does next she put her i mean blood sweat and tears is a term that we throw around a lot that movie only exists because of ariel's tenacity um Mm -hmm. literally that has been a a labor of i love (laughs) i don't know her in that movie at some points are a toxic relationship where i'm like maybe (laughs) 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 but but to be fair i mean i think you could say that with almost every film that's ever been made it's like you get to a point where it's like i don't know if this is healthy for me or not <laughs> well i
0: certainly think the end result's terrific it's and it's absolutely stunning so yeah anyone who hasn't
4: seen it please please go check that out it is it is most likely i mean it will be still available on vod if not out elsewhere by the time you listen to this anyone else have stuff on the movie for week
1: yeah i gotta ask about hungry dave
0: <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, so uh, eric, eric
1: had a pretty good theory about that uh wondering how that jibed with anything with the, the with actual hungry dave
4: uh you missed one canonic dave though there's angry dave in after midnight at the bar eating boiled peanuts oh, oh that's shit! Right. <laughs> god damn it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so. so close
0: you well, know that, I... that does confirm at least that After Midnight is canonical, though. So <laughs> yeah. that means by proxy, my, my supposition about Shane from that movie being
4: canonical. So, OK. Yeah, just bring him in. Right. Just bring him in. Now, uh, All right. It's funny if you right now, if you go to Aaron Moorhead's stories on Instagram, he literally will not right now when you're listening to this, but right now while we're recording <laughs> this, I know because I saw it this morning when I woke up, is uh, him filming that squirrel just going, hey, Dave. Um, <laughs> this is something that like it was not made for the movie that squirrel they named actually they, they just call him lawson uh <laughs> in, in, in real life but that squirrel has been named after me for i think five years now oh wow uh, oh yeah like this is like a long running joke that they think is hysterical i don't <laughs> i don't quite under, i don't i don't quite understand it but uh You know, it makes them happy and that makes me happy, so.
2: it's just their way of keeping you close at all times. (laughs) (laughs) I
4: I guess they're just upset that I live like 20 minutes away and they just need me to be closer. (laughs) That's amazing. Do
2: you ever try to add anything to the script? Do you ever look at the script over and say, hey, have you tried this line or think this over? Yeah, no,
4: I mean, but it's nice because by the time it comes to me, it depends. Every process is different as a producer. It's like, you know, you get things at different stages. the one we are filming next year is one that I've been involved in heavily since like the conception of the idea. Like I, I helped the writer right. uh, who also is going to direct craft the outline and, and like, you know, help him beat out the story. And I, every, I was through every phase of the script. Um, Justin and Aaron's are a little different where they'll pitch me an idea and I'll be like, that's a great idea. That's cool. They might even give me, like, a couple pages of, like, here's what it could look like. And I'm like, cool. And then they'll go off, and I don't see it until Justin's written it, and then he's given it to Aaron, and they've gone back and forth maybe a couple times of, like, kind of fine-tuning it. And then it comes to me. So by the time it comes to me, it's really well fleshed out. Right, right. And then then I'm usually trying to play catch-up on what's been going on in their (laughs) brains. And I'm wondering who I who I decided to start a company with and whether or not that was <laughs>
1: <laughs> Eric yeah. has that thought about the podcast every time he starts editing. Like, who are
2: these <laughs> <laughs> like in my like, head is uh, this image of you like saying a throwing line, he goes, Oh, that's great. There's an in. You watch the movie and they say you're like, eh, that's me.
4: <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 it's funny because you stop at a certain point, you stop kind of like remembering what was your idea and what was just sense. a good idea. like you, you like a lot of times it'll be like, oh hey, what if you do this, what if you do and like you get to a certain point you don't even remember whose idea it really was. And I think that's kind of the sign of a good collaboration is it like, absolutely I don't I don't need to take credit if something is specific it's what <laughs> while while editing this, uh, I and I found this endlessly charming. Any time a shot that I operated came up, Aaron would be like, Dave, shot, Dave, shot, because yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a camera operator by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, I had to learn how to put together the camera on this movie. Like, I, day one, nice. it was like Aaron wow. teaching me how to put together a red. So that I could operate this <laughs> the first day. See, it was the whole process. This shouldn't have worked is
1: a, <laughs> sounds <laughs> like you be really, the- really learned a lot from it though, or it broadened oh
4: my God. your skill set. So, so so, so, much. I am I'm just proficient enough in almost everything to be dangerous. Um it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like just knowing just enough to just not say the right thing um where it's almost <laughs> the right thing and you think it might be the right thing but it's definitely not the right thing <laughs> that's how i feel at my day job all the time
1: <laughs> <Yes>.
4: <laughs> we also renamed like i don't know if you all know this is a little inside baseball stuff but everything on set has its own has its own term and nothing makes sense like a clothespin is called a c47 there's something called apple boxes which are just little boxes that anyway we gave everything our own names we spent <laughs> like everything had its own name and so like by the end of this i wish we would have like wrote it down but like by the end of this we could literally we had our own separate vernacular that was not the correct film vernacular but was our film vernacular (laughs) we had our own version of esperanto as as by the end of it (laughs) i love it i love it the language of peace but I I think there was a hot minute where Aaron was I don't know if he's still trying to learn Esperanto like he was actually he was actually learning it. I don't know if
1: it's 100% a bucket list item for me after having read so much about it.
4: I uh, I wish I was better at languages. I'm I'm objectively terrible at learning languages and music are just I, the two things I just can't do. That's where I live. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
1: I can't do languages at all. I, I I would have a much better college degree if I could speak Spanish, but I I can't. But Esperanto sounds like maybe, maybe this I time to, it will
4: be different. I tried to learn Chinese Mandarin just because I was like, maybe if I learned something that's just so different, th- that was an abject failure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, diving, diving
4: into tonal languages, is
1: uh, that's some advanced baseball there.
4: Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I thought it was a good idea. I was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, obviously, we love the shit out of this movie, but in terms of like other movies you've worked on, you were also a producer on Breathing Happy, right? I was. I saw that at Chattanooga. I mentioned during our main review, I absolutely loved it. Is there a status update on that when it might go have a, a wider release or? Uh,
4: there is, and I don't know that it's been announced yet, so I can't okay. talk about but but uh, everybody will be able to see it soon. Um, obviously, awesome. Shane Brady is a longtime family member of Rustic, and so you know when he needed some help I, w- I was happy to kind of throw in i wasn't on set for that one uh he had a separate team i was just kind of at thirty thousand feet giving them guidance and trying to help them navigate some potholes in the road of, of filmmaking uh, but what he okay. came out with was phenomenal i'm yes so proud of him so proud of him as a director so proud of him as an actor he really really and as a writer like also he learned how to edit and edited that whole thing himself. Like. He just like legitimately oh my God. Yeah. He, he like literally learned how to do it during the pandemic just to make this movie. And like, if you've oh, seen sweet. that film, it's frenetic. And yeah, like an energy to the editing that just like, it speaks to someone who has been doing it a lot longer than Shane actually has. Yes. Which is absolutely. Which is, which is a compliment.
0: No, I I was really, really thrilled with it. And his the, the final stretch of his performance and the final stretch of that performance through the whole thing but that final stretch is jesus christ it is absolutely phenomenal
4: it's I, I think it's another one that's like you know it's one of those films where it's like if you you know if you're if you if you're going through stuff and you watch that it just makes you feel like oh, okay cool it, it's i put it in the she dies tomorrow category of just like it's okay to not be okay it's okay to not be okay and to talk yeah. about it and to, to like express that but that movie is the, the frenetic nature of it is a, a glimpse inside of Shane's brain. That is that is how fast Shane's brain works, uh, which is really fun to be his friend.
0: <laughs> and are you also a producer on another Chattanooga movie,
4: the ones you didn't burn? No, I didn't. Uh, that's oh, okay. just, that's literally one that I saw that when it was almost completely cut. A friend of mine is in the film and was like, hey, Elise Finerty and Estelle... Goddard Parks uh, needs some help kind of like navigating this next step. They made this movie. Would you mind chatting with them? And I I watched the film and it's another one where I just I was blown away. But it's like it's fun to talk about because now like there's this whole I don't know what the term is going to be, but there's this whole kind of collection of pandemic movies that are coming out and they're so drastically different. And I love it because for me, it's like a lot of what's coming out. Post was another example of it. It's like, they're all so different, but it's all, I mean, essentially it's making movies with friends because that was the only way to make movies in the pandemic at a certain point. So I think that there's going to be this entire kind of collection of projects that come out and you look at them you're like, there's a through line to all of them, but none of them are the same. And the ones you didn't burn, I think falls very heavily into that category where it was just like, those two women were just like, we want to go make a movie. We're going to go make it got together some friends, went into went into a farm and came out with a, an amazing project. And nice. I'm, I'm excited to see them have the success that they've had with that.
0: Yeah, just going off memory, it's like a five-person cast, something like that from what I remember.
4: I want to say it's like seven, it's a seven-person cast. And I think it yeah. was like a nine-person crew, but seven of those were also the cast members. So it's like, <laughs> it's very much how we make movies sometimes. So, you know, when I watched it the first time, I felt a kinship to the project, even though it wasn't one of ours.
0: And that was Elise Bennerty's directorial debut for a feature, right? Which is insane. It's so yeah, good. Again, it's, like Shane. Just again it's her... so good.
4: I'm like, I, you know, Elise and Estelle have since become really good friends of mine. And it's really exciting to watch. Uh, I just like when my friends succeed. I don't know. It's just so much easier than being jealous. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> like, can we all just be happy for success? Like, It's so much lighter. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting we it's something that we've been kind of talking about a lot on the podcast and just in general that you mentioned the, the real creative and cultural shifts coming out of the pandemic and again i think everybody would you know unite and agree and we wish it, it had never happened but that there is some goodness coming out of it is encouraging it's a, it's a little well, bit of faith in humanity sort of thing i guess and well, the, i think the I... projects we've seen have been incredible
4: I think that you can you can kind of look back and okay. almost every kind of major world event has kind of has pushed art into it. Like that's people's escape. That's, you know, and I know that's definitely something that, that artists draw from is like what's happening in the world. If you're not exposed and kind of using your art to kind of it's almost like you're just dealing with the world and your expression of that is the art that you create. And so it's gonna be reflective of what's happening in society and it kind of has to be. And that's yep. the point and what makes it interesting. Yeah. And we're yeah. And we're just seeing the fruits of that now in the
1: you know, movies, albums. Yeah. You know, a lot of the albums of you know, they're very clearly pandemic albums, but some of them are just incredible that I've heard. So it's it's an interesting time I, to be a, a fan of things. I I,
4: I am very excited because one thing I haven't noticed a bunch is movies about the pandemic. Because I don't think anybody yes. wants to no interest in no. that whatsoever.
1: <laughs> no. Like that was,
4: even even when we kind of like, we're like, oh, what could we do, you know, small? Like the, that was the first sentence that I think out of, simultaneously out of all three of our mouths was like, we're not talking about this. Like nobody, beyond the fact that we didn't want to talk about it, like I, n- nobody, it is going to be a long time before anybody wants to hear about this. Yeah, I don't
1: want to watch a made for TV movie about
0: COVID right now or ever really. I mean, I have no interest, none, none whatsoever. I'm good. Yeah, for sure. No. But yeah, no, I'm like Jake mentioned. Yeah, there's been so many great projects coming out of it. I was really, really thrilled with Elise's directorial debut in that movie, The Ones You Didn't Burn. But speaking of Elise, so Elise is along with a bunch of other folks you're involved with. They're talking about all the talented folks you work with. They're involved in another project you have coming up in a different medium. Which is you're working on a a fiction anthology called Haunted Reels. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, um, it's funny because (laughs) like it. That was actually an inspiration of mine for this project. Uh, I think I I told you all about that when I first came up with this idea like a year and a half ago. Uh, It's called Haunted Reels. Without going into too much detail, there's a Zoom group that meets every Thursday and there's a bunch of filmmakers that are all part of it. And we've been doing it since the beginning of the pandemic. We were just kind of, I was looking around the room and it was just like a really insanely talented group of people. You know, everybody that's part of Haunted Reels. Volume one uh, is all people that are either very intricately part of that room or people that have passed by through that room at one point or the other. So it's really, it's really fun to kind of cool. get everybody together. It's kind of little like, it's a little yearbook for us uh on this kind of like oh. something it's talking about like good things that came out of the pandemic it's like I've developed insanely good relationships with some really talented filmmakers and we've talked about some immensely personal stuff and I consider them really really dear friends now because of that and it's like it's maybe something that wouldn't have happened uh had the pandemic never happened and obviously it's not good that it happened but like I don't know when you're Talk about silver linings and trying to find the good in things. Yeah, we're we're very excited. Dark Matter Inc. is putting out the book. There'll be an audiobook that goes along with it. Some people are recording their own section of the audiobook. So nice. uh it's weird. I don't think I don't think most publishers allow that on anthologies. However, given the fact that like almost everybody involved in Haunted Reels is either an actor, a director, or a producer. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. like, well. There's definitely like, a return like, on value. If you got the skill set, and that's the thing. It's like you know, people. Uh, I will not be recording my own. I don't need to hear my voice. I don't think anybody does. Honestly, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm we, confused we why people. are your voice. <laughs> I'm confused why people are listening to this right now. If I'm being honest. <laughs> Honestly,
1: <laughs> so are we. Most definitely.
4: <laughs> so that part we identify. With. <laughs> But it's really awesome. So we're looking forward to that coming out in summer of 2023. And I I imagine um, if I was a guessing man, when that book comes out, I would imagine that volume two is going to be announced.
0: I was about to say, I was very happy to hear the words volume one dropped when you he, when he started <laughs> it on it. I said, like, all right,
4: that's good to hear. I, I'd be shocked if this is a one-off. Honestly, it's really fun putting it together. And it's really fun. I mean, more than anything, it's really fun because there's some people who are are very well established within their careers that that are doing stories for this and there are some people that are just starting out in their careers and it's really nice that that some of us who have been around a little bit more and have a little bit more notoriety you know see robert cargo who if you've read any of his books he is a phenomenal fiction writer phenomenal yes. day, day zero is one of my favorite books if you haven't read it read it if you haven't read it maybe listen to it instead the audiobook on it is just brilliantly done it's so, you know, people like him, Gary Sherman, Jay Baruchel, Justin and Aaron, elevating some other voices who maybe haven't been heard yet. But we've kind of met during this pandemic process and, and feel like uh, deserve to have their voice heard. It's really nice to get to kind of elevate those other people.
1: That was yeah. one of the most fun things in our anthology was including a bunch of first time authors with people who are a bit more established, a bit more known. And Absolutely. Them all together. It's just it's it's neat. And putting yeah. together an anthology like that is
4: it's like you said, it's, it's so much fun. fun. It's really, it really is fun. And I mean, uh, I haven't written I haven't written fiction in, you know, I mean, maybe since I my late teens, early twenties. And I wrote I wrote a story for haunted reels and it was really, really fun to to dust off all, the, the old skill set and go back to it because it's something that I really I used to really love doing and I just it's I haven't in a long time. And so it was really fun for me to get to do that.
1: Well, as big fans of anthologies we certainly can't wait to read it yeah
0: (laughs) before this episode's out i'm gonna talk some more about some of the other creators on it and some of the other dark matter projects coming up because yeah i'm they're really really doing some great stuff so yeah i was so excited to see that announcement so
4: yeah that was that was a fun that happened the day after our la premiere it was like beyond fest was sunday night and then dark matter announced this book on monday morning and it was like i wasn't Again, we talk about doing things kind of like I do things in this little office, this tiny little box for so long. And then to put like two of them out into the world simultaneously felt very, very strange. I was like, I don't know what this feeling is. Everyone's like, it's joy. I'm like, I don't understand it. <laughs> Does not
1: compute. <laughs> the L.A. premiere for such a little bit of a love letter to L.A. in the movie has got to be a pretty neat feeling.
4: It really, I mean, every time we play it for LA audiences, it's it's especially fun. I mean, I I feel like anybody gets something out of the movie, but if you lived in LA, and specifically if you kind of like live our version of LA, which a good chunk of our friends are kind of that like East LA. It's not quite as it, like you know East Hollywood, Los Feliz. Kind of it's not as pretty as as we like to pretend it is. There's no beaches over here. It's like an hour to the beach. I'm not going to the beach. It's 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 just kind of dirty and gross. And there's like a magic to it. Um, Justin's character, Levi talks about it. There's like this like really fun kind of magic to those like dirty LA nights where you're just like, oh man, this is, this is going to be a special. And you like realize it like halfway through the night where you're like, oh man, this is going to be one of those nights, which like, it's not, it's not glitzy. Mm -hmm. It's not glamorous. It's like a a string of gross bars that smell terrible with really fun, interesting people. You'll and there forever yeah <laughs> yeah so you know one of the joys of living here i think i'm on like year 16 now
1: eventually we're going to take a field trip out there as a podcast considering how many la movies we've covered
4: so we went over you know breathing happy
0: and haunted reels is there anything else you're working on that you can talk about Oof. nope okay I'm going, <laughs> i just I'm, I'm going through the list right now
4: i, see, I don't something.
0: remember anything else off the top of my head that that's been in like on your imdb or anything
4: yeah there's nothing uh you know we we i don't know if you all know this we keep everything kind of close to the vest until it all of a sudden isn't close to the vest anymore uh and that's part of the fun for us so yeah but there's there is a bunch of things that we'll be able to talk about in a couple months i'll just tease it i'll just tease it like that i'm certainly excited for all that and dave just
0: I cannot thank you enough for spending time with us this morning. I cannot thank you, thank you enough for spending oh, three hours of your life you. listening to everything that preceded this, conversation <laughs> or the umpteen hours of audio about every other rustic property we've done. So we get to, seriously, this this means a lot to us. Thank you so much. No,
4: thank you all for doing this podcast. It's really, again, it's it's a tangible thing that I can be like, ah, look, there's a there's a reason to keep doing these movies. You know, it. We absolutely love it, and and so thank you all for. For loving us so much absolutely
1: And we'll, we'll definitely do an episode on the anthology when that comes out as well hell yeah yeah starting to dip our toe into other mediums as we as we move and it's, on it's
4: i i promise you man the story I've, i'm i the only one that's read all of the stories i've kind of kept every no one knows what anybody else wrote except for i think some people like shared them just for feedback and it's going to be really fun when everybody gets to read all the stories i have my, my own copy of the book is just i printed out the first draft of everybody's and it's all just in a stack in my oh, office oh, and, and that's like my copy of the book nice. oh that's fabulous yeah that no. and yeah, dave no. thank you so much thank, thank you okay thank you for coming on Enough.
0: on once again we oh my god we can't thank dave enough for his time we can't thank dave enough for putting up with some tech issues we had so obviously you hear a jump in audio quality right now we had to do the other one in a different setup but no dave thank you so much for your time Holy shit, that was wonderful. Always
1: wonderful to have Dave. Just a good time. And always, yeah, I, you know, the fact that he keeps coming back and, and putting up with our stuff is is really nice of him.
0: Mind-boggling, but you know, yeah, lovely. for confusing. us.
1: Apparently, we're mildly charming. I don't know how anybody can listen to us do three hours on that movie and then want to come on and actually talk to us afterwards. <laughs> Even my wife was a little like, you did what? i don't know i'm gonna go play video
0: games you you go be by yourself for a while well we only did three hours before because you know it was late nick was sick you know we were trying to wrap. so you guys are good for another three right because i only got like half way through no (laughs) i got a disc golf
1: tournament at four in the afternoon we're recording at 10 in the morning eastern standard time i am good to go let's rock (laughs) right up to that tournament nick get out the calculator we got some math questions (laughs) <laughs> all right, the differential. <laughs>
0: I will mention real quick because I didn't mention during the the movie chat that like I would mentioned in terms of my note count. That I mentioned, I said we're not going to keep going on the movie. I think, but we're good. Are we though? <laughs> for now, for now, the <laughs> there might be a follow up episode. Like, I don't, I don't think people realize we still discuss this shit off air too. Like we talked <laughs> <this episode laughs> three hours online.
1: We're gonna keep talking. Oh, I them. have
0: a shitload of stuff I didn't bring up, but I hit all the big stuff. We stopped short of me analyzing the lyrics to Ode to Joy. And then, but. and
1: I feel like next time we have Dave on, I got to I got to do the intro in Esperanto.
0: Oh, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. All right. So, the, yeah, the book's coming out. Actually, let's touch on that first real quick. Haunted Reels, like we mentioned, it's coming out in summer of 2023 is at least per the initial release is the current projected date. And Dave wasn't kidding. Holy shit. The lineup on this anthology. I mean, he mentioned Justin and Aaron and Dave's doing a store himself, but we've got Jay Baruchel, see Robert Cargill, Bria Grant, Gigi Saul Guerrero, Gary Sherman, Graham Skipper, Ariel Vita, shitload of people, Izzy Lee, Sarah Bolger. So it's, yeah, just a phenomenal lineup. So that's coming out from Dark Matter Inc., like Dave mentioned. And I would also recommend everyone go check out their new anthology, Human Monsters, which was edited by Sadie Hartman, uh, Mother Har, who's, I'm sure if you follow our pod, you know Sadie Hartman. It's an absolutely fabulous anthology that just came out. And I particularly want to call out a book that's coming out. I believe it's in April of next year called Ling Hung, which is by an author named Ai Jung. And Ai is an author of several short stories that I've absolutely loved. And this is Ai's debut novel, which is coming out from Dark Matter. So I'm just wanting to shout that one out because I love Ai's work and I'm so, so excited for this debut novel. So I just want to throw that out there. But yeah. Keep that novel on your radar. Go pick up Human Monsters and then keep an eye out for summer of next year when Haunted Reels comes out. And like we mentioned, yeah, we'll we'll try and do something as an episode to tie into that when that's out, because, yeah, holy shit, we're so excited about it (laughs) in terms of writing a bunch of stuff. So here's my my note count that I mentioned. So previous episodes for reference in terms of how many pages of notes I had. This won't take long. Constantine, 15. But a lot of those were screen grabs from the comics and a bunch of random New 52 shit. New Nightmare, five. Magnetic Rose, seven. Cure, 17. I'm sure that doesn't come as a shock. Half of that's probably about bathroom tiles. But uh, <laughs> Something Wicked This Way Comes was 16, but that one also had a lot of images. Something in the Dirt, 30. Wow. Oh my. I have basically double the amount of notes on this movie that I have and so yeah that is almost certainly the record for any single movie in fact I don't think I had 30 pages of notes when we did four of their movies back in the shitty Carl Cinematic <laughs> Universe episode so.
1: well to be fair back then we were we were really learning how to uh, how to talk a lot about things for a very long time like that was in our infancy of you know making you edit torturous amounts of audio <laughs> <laughs> Like, well, I think about it a lot. Like, we did the entire Paranormal Activity franchise, which was like eight movies at the time, in four hours? Three and yep. a half hours?
0: Three and a half hours, yeah. I think edited it was like three and a half. Which this is probably going to eclipse! <laughs> <laughs> Editing's not done, but when you factor in, and it's it be cheating a little bit when we factor in Dave's interview, but if you factor in Dave's interview, it, guys, we did it! We eclipsed the Oculus episode. Yay! We did. Yay. <laughs> which means we need to get our friend shasta back on for another episode so we can go four hours or five hours and beat this
1: i'm ready i feel like we could do it on a, on another flanagan film that's it's it's uh i don't know those are our two muses is is mike flanagan and, and rustic film so like I just, by the end of the, they're going to come out with a movie in three years and we're going to have something that's like eight hours just on the fucking opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see the font choice? <laughs> one of the, one of those charity live streams like that, that when they used to play that bus video game for 24 hours, we'll just, we'll just do a live stream on a, on a, we'll set up a Twitch.
0: And,
1: yeah. <laughs> nice Roll with it. People can hear this shit unfiltered without Eric cutting it like, well, no way we're letting people know that these two idiots think that nonsense. <laughs> we need
0: two, three. Again, thank Dave so much for his time. And like we mentioned at the top, when this is out, the movie's going to be available on demand. So go check it out on whatever your preferred VOD platform is. It's available digitally. And if you made it to the end of this, holy shit, thank you so much for listening to our rambling nonsense.
1: We appreciate you. Thank you as always and yeah we love you all our little rose croutons
0: oh yeah we appreciate all of you thank you so much if you did like this sprawling tinfoiled rambling nonsense of an episode that we have feel free to you know leave us a review on your preferred pod platform that'd be great if you want to follow us on social media if just since the social media landscape is so ever shifting god knows where we're going to be when this comes out so uh future eric can you weigh in on this Hey everyone, future Eric here chiming in on our social media stuff. As of the release of this episode, we're still on Twitter using the scarystuffpod handle there. And we also have our Instagram and Letterboxd accounts, which are at scarystuffpodcast. And we've also added accounts on Mastodon and Tumblr. Both of those are scarystuffpodcast. We might be adding some more stuff soon, and it's unclear exactly which platform we'll be leaning on most going forward. But if nothing else, you can follow us on whichever of those platforms you prefer the most, because we'll be posting about new episodes on all those platforms as they're released. And now, back to Past Us to wrap up the episode. Thanks, asshole. You know, and and worst case scenario, Nick always
1: loves it when people show up at his house. So, you know... Wait, what?
0: (laughs) Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back again soon. Next up for us is... Hold on, don't sign off yet. We found a way to make this episode even longer. So we do. Oh, we're good at that. (laughs) Something we forgot to ask Dave about when we were chatting. So, folks who follow us on Twitter, if Twitter still exists at this point, we had a poll going to pick what our final movie was going to be for our last review of 2022. Do a sort of put a bow on the Elm Street series. And there were four categories to choose from. Wes Craven movies, Robert Englund movies, uh, Nightmare Dream-centric movies. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) and 80s slashers and we ended with a tie between Wes Craven movies and Robert Anglin movies so we needed someone to break the tie we meant to ask Dave about it when we chatted with him to have him break the tie for us we totally forgot we had him do it via email so we swear this was legitimate but maybe I'll just (laughs) splice together him saying what the winner is because what he ended up choosing was Robert Anglin movies so that's our winner
2: so i will use
0: spice together (laughs) like dave saying i think you should do robert (laughs) england the atlanta falcons (laughs) so our winner dave broke the tie for us and we are going to be doing movies starring robert england and so we're going to be can i pick the mangler again no (laughs) you can do the mangler too it's robert england adjacent (laughs) so cheating do it Do it! I fucking dare you do it! You saw how many lists is the Mangler episode got? Mangler Mania is running wild, man! <laughs> no, no,
1: thank you. Can I pick the entire V miniseries? I won't do Final Battle, but
0: I'll give you the main one. Yeah. <laughs> mm. oh, we'll see when we run the poll. Yeah, so let's announce our picks real quick. So, since Robert Anglin won, we're going to be doing four candidates again. There's one that sort of is like a communal pick that we all agreed on, which think folks will enjoy which will be behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon <laughs> which has a little bit of something for all of us here at the pot although i don't think jake has seen it but i don't even remember being being consulted about that being our communal pick i've got the i've got it right oh, i know i believe i had to supply I, so much documentation we got the receipts man <laughs> we got the receipts so yeah so we got behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon as As the semi-contested communal choice, at least two-thirds of us voted for it. Fine, fuck it. But for the other three slots, each of us are picked a film. So let's go around to say what our contenders are real quick. Jake, what's your pick?
1: Uh, Dead and Buried, based entirely on the fact that I remember the VHS
0: cover as a kid, and it scared me. It's creepy. I make so many decisions that way. Well, we talked so much about box art during the Elm Street series, so that's incredibly appropriate, too. And there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, I'm just going to mention right now, if Dead and Buried wins, it won't. It's going to lock us into at least two other episodes at some point. So, but we'll talk more about that if it wins. It won't win. You know why? Because
1: nothing I want ever wins these. Because bowls. it's your. I, I I honestly feel like our fans are dead set against me at this point, trying to really <laughs> make me the, the, like the lean into the grump of grumpness. But I will say, I will say, and I, I should thank I should thank listeners for not picking any more fucking dream movies thank you no it was it was like dead last in that so i was disappointed because i just wanted you to suffer
2: like we could do
0: dreamscape but beyond that go fuck yourselves dreamscape is good i like dreamscape We've, we talked about doing dreamscape that came up during our uh, stepfather episode so yeah there'd be pressing for that one too but sweet all right so we got gary sherman's dead and buried for jake nick what's your pick i'm going with eating alive you know, I really hey. I, it, it's an older piece for
2: him, so it's early in his career, and it's also Toby Hoover, and it's supposed to be a hell of a ride. I've been meaning to watch it for a while now. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I almost watched it once. Um, It was on Netflix a few years ago, and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch Eatin' Alive. And the recording was broken. When, when you got to the 14-minute mark, it just died. Oh. Uh. Every time. I was like... This isn't even a problem with my system. I can't reboot it. It's a problem on Netflix's side and I can't fix it.
1: And I never got back to it. So I was like, oh man. If a horror movie consistently stops at the same watermark every time you try to watch it, man, you gotta listen to that shit. Don't you watch horror movies? (laughs) I know you do.
2: Clearly doom exists beyond this point.
1: (laughs) Like how can you that that's the most horror movie dumb decision you could make. Every time I try to watch this, no matter what the platform, it stops at 14 minutes. Hmm. Better go buy the VHS. <laughs> How have you not learned any of these fucking lessons? <laughs> we're, we're year three is coming up. Pay attention at some point to what's going on in these films we talk about. <laughs> I like to walk into danger. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, well, that one I know.
2: <laughs> hey,
1: Jake, come here. Sure.
0: Where are we going? I'll tell you later. Oh, Okay. <laughs> You'll be fine, but that's exciting. Yeah, eaten alive, which was one of the contenders for our Toby Hooper Robert Englund poll, so it gets a second crack at being a movie we do on the pod. And I watched it when we were doing that, and there's absolutely stuff to talk about with that movie. So that's awesome. Well, well what's your choice, Eric?
1: Which we'll be referring to at this point as the winner.
0: I no, I don't know. Um, so what I ended up going with might actually have a shot. The other stuff I was looking at, because y'all motherfuckers keep picking good movies, so. <laughs> I have never been accused of picking good movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, spoilers, Dead and Buried's a good movie. So Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. Too late, you said it. I'm not <laughs> editing it out. <laughs> you done fucked up, Aaron. <laughs> so normally I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll go with something I, I thought really hard about doing Night Terrors again, which was the other candidate from the Hooper England poll that we didn't do, which you guys would be so mad if that won, but it, but it wouldn't win. But I was looking at that. I have Blu-rays of Dwight Lill's Family the Opera. I've got Blu-rays of Dance Macabre. I've got all But what occurred to me, and so I screwed up a little bit on the initial poll, because what I meant to put on the poll was specifically Robert Englin movies. What I ended up writing inadvertently was starring Robert Englin. So this is a bit of a cheat on my part, but I I swear this is intended. I meant to put initially Robert Englin Movies, which is not a huge distinction. But the reason that distinction is important is it opens up movies that Robert Englin directed. And namely, it opens up my pick, which is 976 Evil. Ooh. Yeah. Which again, we're going to call Little Winner. Well, specifically, I feel obligated to do it because friend of the pod, Dan, since we started this pod, has said, when are you guys doing 976 Evil? So now there's a chance we might actually do 976 Evil. You know what's interesting about 976 Evil? It fills into a very specific category for me.
2: Phone movies? But there, there are movies I watched when I was young that I was like... This is too intense. This is a lot. Uh, I'm. This is very disturbing and upsetting for me. That I look at now and go, what, what the fuck? The hell was with me then? Yeah, why was this so bad then? And this is one of those films. You know, it's like this and Pumpkinhead were just like films as a kid. I was like, oh, oh. oh.
1: And now I'm like, oh, these is, is pretty good. <laughs> That's funny because Pumpkinhead was one of those movies as a kid I watched that I did, didn't get to me. It's like one of the very few horror movies I felt like a big boy watching.
0: <laughs> like, oh, this, i can get through this oh that wasn't i enjoyed that all right so those are our four picks we got behind the mask the rise of Italy vernon dead and buried eaten alive and 976 evil and just mention real quick we're going to be doing this poll a little different previously we had done all our fan polls on twitter god knows if there'll be a twitter by the time this comes out so we're doing this a little differently <laughs> We're actually going to be doing this on Patreon. We do have a boop Patreon boop. page. We haven't done anything with it yet. So just disclaimer, this is not going to be a paywall thing. There's it's just going to be- But you can give us money if you'd like. Yes, you can. I think <laughs> I have it set up to do <laughs> that will that. be optional. We we might end up using this Patreon thing for stuff later. But for right now, we we do have the page and it's already got a built-in pull function. And this way it's not just limited to Twitter users. I think most folks these days probably have a Patreon account that they use for something so all you need to be is a patreon user so just go to our patreon page which is patreon.com scary stuff podcast and you'll see it it's just going to be the only post on there is going to be this poll so we'll plug this on all our social handles whatever those may be or, you know whatever's left yeah so yeah those are our picks so yeah head over to our patreon page when you get a chance and drop us your vote and now back to previous us to wrap up the something in the dirt episode Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back again soon. Next up for us is The Wicker Man, Yay! which we should have a special guest for. I'm not going to give you a date for that because I'm cracking my knuckles on getting this edited first. So at any date I give out is tentative. So, But it is next. It will be recorded soon. When it comes out.
1: Oh. It should be a good one. We promise Eric is working his fingers to the bone while Nick and
0: I sit around eating pizza. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're here for. you. <laughs> that is a correct statement. So, yeah. <laughs> so, while I toil away on that, again, thank everyone so much for listening. Thank everyone for the support. In the meantime, this is Eric signing off. This
1: is Nick saying, thanks everybody. This is Jake saying, uh, what what was in the
2: dirt? I still don't know. It was the friends you made along the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh chromium and leg god damn it <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh